and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, joined once again from his hotel Wi-Fi uh, that we're hoping isn't going to drop out whatsoever. It's Richie. How's things going? Good, good. Sat here, crap hotel coffee, bad wireless, and uh, three god-awful wrestling shows to talk about. Well, <laughs> maybe two. Two and a bit. Mm. Yeah, not the greatest. Uh, how's things been going in general, though, Richie? I actually managed to watch that much wrestling in a week. I couldn't watch any more, which is a new record. <laughs> yeah, I've done I, managed, <laughs> I managed to watch No Mercy, Raw, SmackDown, three TNA, GFW, Impact. And then I went, oh, I'll just go back to my, my timeline in the 90s. I, like, I just can't face anymore. I just, there's any Guerrero wrestler, Dean Malenko, and it, it doesn't mean anything to me, so I have to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this this may be the last time we record for a couple of weeks then is what you're saying well certainly uh, i would very much like to maybe take a little step out of this timeline just to get to something that, that isn't so woefully painful yes and we'll have some details on that at the end we are going to take a little bit of a change but for today we are stuck blissfully in the 80s and we're going to be reviewing starcade 1984 up against the brawl to end it all so did you know much about these two shows before watching them uh no uh actually uh, maybe a little bit about starcade just from reading the magazines but i didn't really know sort of like exactly how it all went down but when, when we get to it the, the the i did know of the ending uh as, as for like the brawl i kind of knew that that was uh something to do with uh like the start of rock and wrestling but again besides like uh wendy richter not really a lot okay well the little tail of the tape here just to get everyone up to speed before we start starcade 84 was the second annual starcade and it came to us from the greensboro coliseum a crowd of sixteen thousand, and this is pre-pay-per-view so it was aired on closed circuit television numbers of which i don't have any access to um but basically following on from the highly successful and critically acclaimed first show that saw rick flair capture the world title from harley race and around about that same time i can't remember if it was on that show or not dusty Rhodes challenged rick flair ahead of time so that's the the scene setter there for starcade now, the brawl to end it all has got a little bit more of a backstory um, or a little bit more, I think, significance historically. Um, so I'm assuming everybody by now knows about Captain Lou Albano appearing in Girls Just Want to Have Fun, the music video by Cindy Lauper. Uh, this led to a storyline where Cindy Lauper appeared on Piper's Pit uh, to refute claims that Captain Lou Albano had been instrumental in the success of her career at this point of controversy as we've been going on along about Cindy Lauper. Lou Albino and some jerk comes out here named Dave Wolf says Cindy Lauper is supposed to come out and time after time we try to get Cindy Lauper to come out and all of a sudden there's no Cindy Lauper. I do happen to have the album cover of Cindy Lauper which they are giving to the uh, folks out there but you know I'm the kind of guy because I just don't fool around. I'm not the kind of guy just to say something and then don't get it done. You see, when RP talks, people listen. And if I want to get something done, I get it done. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you the female entertainer of the year, Miss Cindy Lauper herself. (laughs) Sit down. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. You look... First of all, I would like to say to you, you look wonderful, Cindy. 
it's been a long time coming for us to, to try to get you here. Cindy has flown 7,000 miles to come here and see us. And one thing that I admire about you is we both have something in common. We are both number one at what we do, and you, time after time, and the records that you have out, the uh, girls just want to have fun with, with all your... What? They do. They do. <laughs> they just girls just want to have fun. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Oh, well, I'm glad to come back. I've been in Europe. It's nice to see all the wrestling fans and the WWE And, um... And you, Roddy, how are you? It's great. I've been in Europe. I've been in London. Um, You've been in London, England. Where... London, England, same thing. London, England, same thing. Tell me, who does your hair? Oh, me and Patrick, we do it. Who's Patrick? Oh, he's in the back somewhere. He helps me out. Pat, Pat. You look terrific. You look terrific. You know, as, as we were saying, we're both number one in, in what we do. And uh, I'm a self-made man, and I realize that uh, through, through the time, you've had a lot of friends uh, help you out, and especially one Captain Lou Albino, your manager, the man who has taken care of you and actually brought you from nothing and taken you up. Yes, Roddy, wait, wait. Yes, darling. No, I love Lou, but he's not my manager. A lot of people think that. Wait a second, wait a second. You're not calling... You're not calling, wait, wait, no, I know you don't, you don't mean that. You're not calling Lou Albino a liar. I know that. He, he's your man. Dave would Cindy, tell all these people out here how I took you, Cindy, and found you in New York City and Queens, and how I made you a superstar. Tell them what I did for you, Cindy. Lou, Lou, come on. Only kidding. No. No, wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. No, no, no wait a minute, Cindy. Tell them how, you tell told them me. how I, I wrote the words for time after time, Cindy, and girl. Lou, you're only, he's kidding. He's only kidding. Now, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Now, you've told me that you've taken, you've taken 75%. You told me that you, you brought her from nothing. Took her from a, telling how, how, how women, Cindy, belong in a kitchen and pregnant, Cindy, that no woman's ever accomplished anything without a man behind her. Cindy, tell him that. Wait, 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 wait. Lou, you know, I don't like that. You're only fooling around, right? Because I don't no, like no. that stuff. No, no, wait a second. This is not around. You're not this? Cindy, just, Cindy, just shut up for a minute, Cindy. Tell him what I did for you, Cindy. Tell him how you... Hold that up. Tell them how you came off my reputation, Cindy. Captain Lou Albano, how all women are nothing, Cindy. They're slime. How it takes a man to make a woman. One second now. Just calm down. Wait, I saw the video myself, and I know what he's done. Yeah, about one second in the yeah, video. No, what, are you no, no, crazy? No, no, no. It was a big segment, Cindy. You wrote all for me, Cindy. Wait a second. Wait a second. I saw... I saw the video myself. Uh, you can't come out here and tell me that this man is a liar. I'm not calling him a liar. I'm going to get mad. Now, don't get me mad. Get... Wait a second. We don't care who gets mad. I'll tell you something. Just wait a second, young lady. I don't care what you think. Just a minute, Cindy. I want you to be honest. Tell them how I took you abroad. Um, 
As such, Captain Lou Albano managing the fabulous Moolah. Uh, Wendy Richter, sorry, not Wendy Richter, Cindy Lauper decided she was going to manage Wendy Richter and try and lead her to the title, which led to the big event, the brawl to end it all, uh, which was aired on MTV. A couple of interesting facts. It also it came from Madison Square Garden, crowd of 22,091. There was only one of these matches aired on MTV. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that, but I guess it kind of makes sense if uh, they were trying to make it look a little bit less like the 70s in wrestling. Stick the one at the end with Cindy Lauper on. Yeah, well, this is just the thing. I think um, this show is probably far more significant in the in the rise of the WWF than it really gets credit for historically. Because if you think, if, if you said to the average person back in the mid-1980s, there was a big special aired on MTV and it only featured one performer's match. Uh, there's no way anyone would think anything but Hulk Hogan. But no, every other match on this show, including Hulk Hogan's, was a dark match. So just the one match on TV. Have a guess at what kind of rating this drew. I would have said probably quite a high one, given the, uh, the, the start of the boom period. It was a 9.0. So at this point in time, by far and away, the highest-rated wrestling show of all time. That's uh, that's like Attitude Era. In fact, I don't even think the Attitude Era pulled those in. I want to say off the top of my head that This Is Your Life got an eight-point-something. So, you know, it, this isn't yeah. a staggering number. But that's, no, it's, uh, that's mad. That's the tale of the tape for the two shows. So that's what we're going to be breaking down first. Now, which show did you watch first? I Well, actually, I watched the Hogan win first because I thought I might as well be uh, uh, closing for punishment, but then I thought I'll go, I'll go for the WWE. I'll do it in time order. Well, do you want to break down this um, the, the Hogan win, which is a little bonus that we've, we've done for this episode. We watched the Hulk Hogan title win. I can happily skip to that first. Let's have a little bit of a chat about that before we get into the two shows then. All right, well, uh, I mean, the, uh, it seemed really weird. It's just a Madison Square Garden house show, and then they stick the, the belt on Hogan and, like, not a not a massive match, like a five minute match. It's not bad, but it's, it's like it, they couldn't have been stating it more that we've got it off backland. We're putting it on on Hogan. Here we go. Yeah. So the match itself is is Hulk Hogan up against the Iron Sheik, who was obviously the the very definition of transition champion. You'd probably find his picture in the dictionary. And as you said, Madison Square Garden house show. A lot of these did air on the MSG network back then, and it's before really sort of prime time and cable tv for for wrestling in general um and before we go to the match we have mean gene interviewing the iron cheek and freddie blassie and then gene basically cuts them off mid promo to send them on their way because we've not got time which is you know not the best production as you'll see through a couple of these shows i uh, i was particularly i guess uncomfortable with the ayatollah fred blassie I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain you, you, he's not Iranian. <laughs> As was the style at the time. There was some foreign heat going on here. Ooh, I just, just like, I'm going to stick a tea towel on me, head, And I'm like, this is, no, just don't. <laughs> ah, wrestling's been ruined by politically correctness. Political correctness. Um, and then we get the introduction. So, obviously, Sheik and Blassie come out. And Hogan comes out. Unfortunately, Eye of the Tiger is overdubbed. So, we get the classic... Uh, Real American for Hulk Hogan, which is a little bit crap, but you still see the, the massive um, response of the crowd during his entrance anyway. Yeah, it's a shame you kind of miss out a bit on the crowd pop, because every time they dub it, you do, they either have to put the crowd in or uh, mute the crowd to do it. I mean, it's not as bad as if you ever watch an ECW show, they might as well just not bother with the entrances. Yeah, watch it on mute. 
Um, Ho- she, um, before the matches got started, has really big heat with the crowd. They definitely probably, I think, probably could have got a little bit more mileage out of him, at, you know, as you're alluding to there, that there was just a transition run. He was really, really over as a heel. Yeah, yeah, he was, the crowd hated him, but I guess they didn't have a pay-per-view system in place to to do it, so they just wanted to get the money on Hogan. And then the WWF do like a, a babyface champion. Oh, absolutely. The, mat- the match itself is nothing really to write home about. Hogan jumps uh, Sheik before the bell, hits an elbow on a clothesline while Sheik's still got his robe on, hits a knee drop, big lifting choke, and then we get a classic Hulk Hogan big boot. Uh, this brings us a two count, an elbow drop for a two count before missing a corner charge and allowing the Sheik to put the boots to Hogan. The, the one thing you'll notice going through this match is um, he's not really got his Hulk Hogan routine down pat yet, has he? No, I counted six heel moves in, in like one sequence. Jumps him at the bell, strangles him with the cloak, knee to the face, eye rake, choke, and then he spits on him. <laughs> yeah, he does too. <laughs> the classic American baby face. Yeah, I'm um, all American pie, do nothing wrong, don't bully, eat your vitamins, and then uh, here's my offense. <laughs> He's the Donald Trump of wrestlers. It's not Tito Santana. <laughs> yeah, um, Sheik comes back with some boots and a backbreaker, gets a two-count of his own, and the crowd are really hot for that. They're all over him. He locks in a Boston Crab, which Hogan kicks out of. Then Sheik puts him down with a nice gut-wrench suplex for a two-count before locking in the dreaded camel clutch. Now, this is probably the sequence most listeners will recognize from having seen over the years. He's got him in the camel clutch. Hogan stands up with him and runs him back first into the turnbuckle. Sheik falls over. Hogan hits the ropes, comes off with the big leg. One, two, three with that sort of half cradle pin and the crowd go nuts. Yeah, that's exactly what the crowd wanted. I don't think they even wanted a, a match any any longer than that. No, I think they, they read that one pretty well there with the finish. As you can see, there's no big heat sequence, no Hulk up, no big boot followed by the leg. It's pretty much just straight into the leg drop. So that will change soon enough. Um, but after and it's pretty much, and it's pretty much, uh, they don't have the sequence sort of like uh, to for the sheik to lose clean. He doesn't sort of like it's not like that kind of sequence. It's almost as if the sheik's going, well, I'll lose, but I'm not losing in a. It's it's an odd finish. It's not out and out if that makes sense. Yeah, he's sort of half kicking out at the bell, isn't he? Hogan's really got him cradled yeah. up after the leg drop. It's not it's not definitive. No, no, it's he's, he's like oh, I'm going to lose, but I'm not losing in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. After I even like the run into the the corner is almost like it's if you like a mistake kind of it doesn't feel like it's it's a, it's not a move it's not a finishing move yeah Hogan of course after the ring after the bell though plays it up like an absolute boss that he's won the title as Finkel announces that the new champion the incredible Hulk Hogan which was something they dropped pretty soon after this um, and then I would, have, I would have thought that Marvel would have been particularly annoyed by them using uh, Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I would imagine so. It's um, just shy of Arachnaman for blatant ripoffs. <laughs> we then get... This was interesting. This is something I never knew had happened because obviously that's where the footage ends on all the highlights packages. But we get doctors in the ring with a stretcher to attend to the Iron Sheik. Um, and it takes a while to sort of sort him out. It's all It, it comes across very legitimate, like he's injured. Um, unfortunately, then, he does manage to get to his feet and Hogan, the big baby face, as you alluded to, tosses him to the floor after the match. Yeah, it's like a bit of a heat, getting heat back as if like the Sheik only lost because he was really injured. So Hogan, being ever the gentleman, instead of going, okay, I've won, let's uh, let's be gentlemanly about this, just beats him up more. Yeah, get another dig in while you're hurt. 
Um, and then we get another classic scene that everyone's probably seen before. It's Mean Gene interviewing Hulk Hogan. Andre the Giant comes in with some champagne, as does um, Ivan Putsky. Rocky Johnson, uh, pretty cool. Like some of the big baby faces of the time coming in to celebrate and endorse Hulk Hogan. Um, again, not his usual Hogan shtick that he'd get with Mean Gene later, but more of a genuine feeling promo. It's absolute bedlam and pandemonium here back in the locker rooms at Madison Square Garden. Gene Okunen here with the brand new World Wrestling Federation champion, Hulk Hogan. You proved it to thousands and thousands of fans, not only here tonight in Madison Square Garden, but throughout the wrestling world. You know something, Gene? They proved it to themselves. All I asked was for the Hulk to stand behind the holster. And I told him I'd bring it home for the USA. You know something, me, Gene? It is the dream of a lifetime, Daddy. Oh. And you know something? I can't imagine. This is like going to the mountaintop a thousand times over. I feel the energy. Hulkamania's running worldwide. And it just turns me on me, Gene. And I felt every one of those 25, 30 plus thousand people with me standing behind me all the way. And it felt great. Well, you have arrived, Hulk Hogan. Have you never seen anything as beautiful as this, me, Gene? This belt is part yours, too. It's everybody out there. Oh, 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 what a, oh, 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 Andre the Giant congratulating the new heavyweight champion of the world. That's nice of you. I'm really proud of you. And you are a good wrestler. I'm proud of you. Oh, the champagne is blowing. Ivan Putsky. Okay, baby. Hey, I'm proud of you, Jack. Very good, Hulk. Can you hear party has not diminished one iota. I want to make an introduce, uh, introduction, if I may. Ruth and Pete Hogan, the parents of the incredible Hulk Hogan, here celebrating. I'm going to get your mom first, excuse me. What are your thoughts right now, Mrs. Hogan? Your son, the new world champion. I'm so excited, I don't know what to say, except I know my son is dedicated, and I tell you, he's been wonderful for the sport, and the sport's wonderful to him. But I'll tell you, I don't think he could have got to where he got tonight in front of this packed house at Madison Square Garden without parents. Pete? I know you're breathing just about as hard as I am. You didn't get any champagne on you, though, yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> what about your son, the new World Wrestling Federation champion, the consummate athlete? Well, we're very proud of him. He's uh, very dedicated and real, a real professional. And uh... <laughs> you got to be proud of him, Mom and Dad. You know some mean, Gene? Pete and Ruth are the people that trained me from the day I could toddle, man. And they're the ones that fed me and made these 24 pythons. This is Pete's belt and Ruth's belt, and we're going to stand behind it all the way, Daddy. It's USA and Hulkamania running wild. Yeah, yeah, I like, I like the ending. I was half expecting the beefer to run in and throw a white powder at him, but I guess uh, he hasn't managed to wangle him a job yet at the, uh, at the Fed. I think he's but, in there. Uh, no, I think he's uh, a heel, though. Yeah, yeah, he might be, because he, he floats about for a bit before the... Uh, well, it's not. It's safe to say he probably had a few gimmicks before he got the uh, barber gimmick. I want to say he's in the dream team with Dino Bravo. If he's not, he's about to be. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. Uh, actually, no, that, I might be, might be a year or two ahead of myself there. It's coming up. Put it that way. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much one of the the more famous World Wrestling Federation title changes and the one that led to the first ever boom in in wrestling. So, what did you make of it overall? Did you enjoy it? Was it good to look back historically? Do you think it's held up? I, th I thought it was really good. Did exactly what what it, it needed to do. Put a belt on on someone strong, and you can't. Hogan just looks so 
much the wrestler of the 90s he, he, he just looks like he not 90s 80s <laughs> he just looks like he should be he looks like he should be on top it's like uh if you went once you get to that period where austin comes in in the late 90s just when he gets that right and you're like yeah there's no way he's not going to be the top top guy for at least a few years injuries aside i just thought he did everything it needed to they didn't muck about they didn't have any screwy finish they didn't even have like the heel manager causing the sheik to lose none of that i think he hit the nail oh, on the wins clean mm. It's um, it's 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 rare that you see someone come in and so obviously be the next guy, isn't it? I think the only real examples I can think of are the two that you just mentioned, and probably Goldberg in WCW. Yeah, yeah, they sometimes try too hard to not make him the new guy, and it's like that. This is one of the few times that they've uh, all like realized that. And like Hogan, I think The Rock maybe, but I think The Rock would always doesn't matter what The Rock was doing. If Rock was working in your low, low, local KFC, he'd still be a uh, celebrity, just a local celebrity. <laughs> you know that that would be interesting seeing The Rock serve me my two piece feed. I don't think he would uh, he'd probably uh, lecture you a little bit as long unless it was your cheat day and then he'd give you some pancakes <laughs> yeah. that man can eat no doubt so yeah I, I, I quite enjoyed this I thought it was good I thought it held up reasonably well um, I definitely thought enjoyed going back and watching it for the historical significance so yeah not bad not bad well worth a watch alright should we roll on through the 80s then and head to one of the biggest um, earliest biggest shows in Fed history the brawl to end it all Yeah, I found it weird. It's not on the network. Yeah, the the MTV specials aren't, are they? I think one of them is. Is it the Wrestling Classic? Yeah, I think so. But uh, no, back to well, actually, I said I, I had to watch this on YouTube. I've been watching it ten minutes and realised I had the wrong one. <laughs> you know what? I got I got an hour in and went. Hang on a minute. I don't remember any of this. I'm just going to double check. I had a panic, but it was the right one. Thank God. I was like, hold on. Uh, Wild Simone's versus someone. I'll just double check this because there's two, one slightly shorter than the other one. I thought I'll take, I'll watch the longer one. And I was like, now, nah. so I'm going to have to check this without spoiling myself on the, on the finishes. And I was like, no, no, 10 minutes, wrong, wrong show. Well, this is going to be interesting to see if we watch the same thing. Yeah, this will make this, this, uh, this review very interesting. <laughs> yeah. All right, so the brawl to end it all ends with a very 80s-tastic opening. Um, 
some 80s music and some very 80s graphics. Uh, welcome us to Madison Square Garden, where our commentary team will be Mean Gene Oakland and Gorilla Monsoon. What did you make of this commentary team? Not too bad. I'm not convinced Mean Gene's the best at play-by-play, uh, play, but uh, Gorilla, Gorilla's the best. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, and we've got doing ring announcing duties for the night, Howard Finkel, which was cool to see the Fink in his pomp here. Oh, yeah. The Fink uh, uh, looks awesome here. I just I don't understand why they seem to spend or seem to have spent so much time trying to do the Fink down over the years. And he's like the best ring announcer. Yeah, I'm not quite sure on that one myself. I think it's just this obsession with youth movement. But the Fink's by far the best there has ever been at this. Yeah, in fact, I, I can't remember. So I think so. Martin Austin, I'm sure I actually requested him to do his do do one of them. I think he can when he gets certainly higher up. I might be mixing, mixing that story up with Edge and the guy that used to go the R-rated superstar. Oh, Tony Chimmel, yeah. Um, well, yeah. I remember um, Punk yeah, made him his, his personal ring announcer for a while, didn't he? In his feud with Alberto Del Rio. Yeah, uh, anything to do with feuding in Alberto Del Rio immediately goes into the delete pile for me. I've never watched any of it. I just, I believe that is oh. what happened. <laughs> I was watching, uh, uh, what was it? I don't know, we're going off on a tangent, but uh, big. Uh, it was, they accidentally put up on the uh, WWE website for about Del Rio, and it's, oh, it was, they sort of like, they had the test graphic when they were announcing it, it was like, big thing real soon, but it was like what they, the production notes were for the, the actual picture that was supposed to go up. I just remember reading it on like forums, everyone taking the, uh, the piss out of it because they, <laughs> everyone knew what they were planning because he put, accidentally put it up on the website. And I was like, yeah, you screwed him. Yep. Oops. Oh dear. So first match we get to, uh, I'm hoping is going to be the same for both of us. And it's Ron Shaw up against, as Finkel calls him, Samoan number two, Seeker. Indeed. It is Ron Shaw versus uh, Samoan number two. Great. So he doesn't get another name. He just gets called Samoan. <laughs> it's brilliant. Um, we get a push and then a little powder from Ron Shaw to start the match here before going into a, a very slow stare down. And they're doing some almost UFC style sort of dodging and feeling out in the early days without any actual touching, just moving away, engaging, not engaging before starting to exchange some forearms and then Seeker unloads with some strikes and some stomps in frustration. It's a really, really slow kick-punch affair. Seeker hits a nice back elbow, and then Ron Shaw comes back with some boots. Seeker comes back with some punches, and then no-sells some of Ron Shaw's. Ron Shaw headbutts Seeker in a classic don't-do-this-to-a-Samoa move before Seeker hits him with a big chop and a falling headbutt for a 1-2-3 in a bit of a dud of an opening contest. What did you think? Uh, it was just a, a starting match. Nothing particularly exciting. Uh uh, I believe that's uh, well done for Daddy Roman, though. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, don't get me on that tangent. I've, no, I had no, a, that... <laughs> coming in today, I thought, don't start me on Roman Reigns or Jinder Mahal. It'll we'll never get this show done. <laughs> no, no. Let's uh, let's stick with the job in hand. Yeah. Um, we go to. Um... Oh yeah, Mean Gene in a, in a curious line before the next contest. Um, which is Tony Greer up against the Iron Sheik. Mean Gene says that politics and sports just don't mix. And I thought to myself, what about politics and sports entertainment, Gene? Because you've been trying it for a few decades now to get them to mix. Yeah, it's uh, it's a weird statement. It's odd when you hear uh, them talk about it being a sport and wrestlers because I'm so tuned to sport and entertainment and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, this isn't real. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the whole politics thing, you've got Jesse Ventura, Kane's cur- currently running for mayor, Jerry Lawler had yeah. a failed mayoral campaign. Uh, Flirted. Yeah, Flair. Hogan flirted with running for president. I think that was more of a publicity stunt, but it was what it was. And um, let's not forget such luminaries as the likes of Muhammad Hassan playing on political tensions at the time, the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov. There's been a whole stack of them. It, it's it's uh, Baron von Raschke. <laughs> that was a little yeah. outdated, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fritz von Erich. I mean, all of these are just uh, just ridiculous. It, it, wrestling is built on stereotypes, yeah. even now. I think I think this can be best done with a little splice in from Futurama here. Um, do, you, do you remember the clip? Yeah, but did you ever watch Futurama? The wrestle, the one where there was. I kind of watched it, but not not religiously. I was more of a Simpsons man. Okay, it was um, there was a, a great wrestling heel on there called the Foreigner for an episode. I'll splice it in. Versus the Foreigner. I'm not from here. I have my own customs. Look at my crazy passport. <laughs> Um, the crowd goes straight into an Iran sucks chant before then sort of bouncing off into a USA chant. So the crowd obviously think politics and sports, so to speak, mix. They're very hot in the early early portion of this match anyway. They're very much against the Iron Sheik. Um, Tony Greer, who would become a road agent for the World Wrestling Federation later on, is a name many people would have heard of. He's in pretty good shape here. He reminds me a little bit of um, like Rick Martel's older brother or something, doesn't he, in the way he looks. Yeah, yeah. Did we see him in uh, the AWA the year before? I think we saw someone. I'm not sure if it was him or someone else. I think we saw him in the Fed uh, show that went up against it. Yeah, there's a year later in it. Mm. Well, he's doing all right. He's getting a paycheck, hangs around for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, They exchange forearms in the early portion of the match before Greer puts on a headlock and some punches, a slam, another headlock, and a sunset flip for a two count, then another headlock. An atomic drop followed by a headlock while Gene tells us that Tony Greer is an ex-tag team champion five times over. The Sheik then comes back with a bit of an illegal throat thrust before putting some stomps with the loaded boots onto Tony Greer. Tony Greer hits a beal, a drop kick, and a crossbody for a two count, which really fires the crowd up before the Iron Sheik comes back with a back suplex reversing an after the reversal of a corner whip. Picking up the one, two, three with that move in a pretty decent little match for what it was. I didn't mind this. No, no, it it, it it kept going. I, I think my biggest problem with these matches is when they just stand around not doing anything. Yeah, I think it's uh, short it kind of just... Yeah, yeah, if, you, if you're going to do this, just, just go out and do that. So I thought so far so good, this show. Yeah, I enjoyed that. I thought it was better than the first match as well. And, I, you know, Iron Sheik's one of them ones, obviously, sort of was on the way out during my first getting into wrestling. So he's a name I was familiar with that I do enjoy going back and seeing some of his earlier stuff. Yeah. I mean, again, he's, he's another punchline for like, uh, for like YouTube videos now, but uh, at the time, scary. Eel. Yeah, definitely. Or country way, make him humble, suplex him, put him in a camel clutch, break his back and then fuck his ass, make him humble to hear respect or and the next match is our first title match of the night. Um, it's going to be Tito Santana defending his Intercontinental Championship against Cowboy Bob Orton. And Gorilla, early on in this match, gets a classic Gorilla line in. Tito doesn't have to take a backseat to anyone. <laughs> it's a good line, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it just takes me back to childhood whenever I hear that. That and Clothesline City or Body Slam City, whatever it may be. It's certainly better than the numbers game. <laughs> or vintage. 
Oh, don't, don't, <laughs> let's stay on track. <laughs> Bob Orton starts us off with a big shoulder block before Tito comes back with a couple of arm drags and an arm bar. Then an arm, arm bar takedown for a two count. Uh, they fight for control very much on a top wrist lock, um, almost treating it like a test of strength. The crowd willing on Tito Santana, and Bob Orton, the classic heel, uses a hair to take Tito Santana down before charging at Tito in the corner, who misses and hits his shoulder into the post. And then Tito comes back with a forearm off the second rope before going back to work on the arm. So our 80s staple is continuing on here with a lot of work on the arm in pretty much every match we watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, they love that kind of move. It's, uh, it's a bit of a staple. I don't mind it when it's the first match of the night. It's when they're doing it like a lot lot further into the, the card. Yeah, it does get old a little bit after a while. But here, we're still at fresh and early in the portion of the card. Um, Orton catches Tito with some punches, stomps, and then a big running stomp before hitting a nice power slam for a two count and a huge backdrop for a two, uh, backbreaker sorry, for a two count. It really lifted him up over his head like he was going to press him before bringing him down. A bit of a slow count from the ref, though. He's got a bit of an awkward cadence to his drop and count, which I, I, I didn't love. No, yeah, he didn't. It's almost as if it was the first time he'd ever ref. <laughs> Orton hits a nice looking fisherman suplex for a two count before locking in a chin lock. Tito comes back with some more arm drags uh, before Orton slams him and goes up top for a Vader bomb, but Tito gets his knees up, hits some punches and a knee drop for a two count, an abdominal stretch, which is reversed, before Tito gets back to the ring. Orton hits a nice back suplex. Tito a two count off a small package. Misses a big flying forearm. Orton hits a fish drop for a two. And then Tito with a gut punch off a flying Orton for a two count. Bit of a slugfest goes on before Tito reverses a pile driver. And the bell rings as they're going at it with the next series of punches. Looking like it's going to be a time limit draw. And when the referee can get them apart, that is actually the official decision. 20 minute time limit has expired and we have a draw. I've got to be honest, I was pretty confused because I've got used to uh, the NWA's time limit draws of counting the timeout, but I actually kind of liked it. The thing I was surprised was that I watched it for 20 minutes and I didn't get bored. Yeah. I yeah. I'd... Assuming it was 20 minutes because sometimes they uh, fiddle the times. Did you, like, tell me if you were in the same boat as me here. When the bell rang, were you like, what? Yeah, yeah, I was... I was... You know, have I missed because uh, because you're typing your notes up or writing them up, so you wouldn't sometimes you miss like uh, when there's been a bit of uh, shenanigans. But no, I was like, this is weird, and then they called the time limit. See, for me, I'm I'm writing out my notes just as you said for this match, and that bell rings, and I'm going, what the hell? But then I stop and reflect for a minute, and I think, you know what? It's a lot better to be engaged in the match, writing your notes, and taken by surprise than to hear five minutes have expired, five minutes, and go, well, this is going to be a draw. I wish I didn't have to sit through the rest of this shit. Yeah. It's, uh, so I haven't watched Hell in a Cell, but it's basically watching Hell in a Cell to wait for Shane to jump off it. I mean, how can you get into the match? Because, you know, everything up to that point is pointless. There's, there's, there's no finish. Okay. Have you, have you not watched any of Hell in a Cell? Uh, no, not yet. You have to go and watch the first match. I, I bag on modern wrestling enough on this podcast. I'm going to go on a very tiny, slight tangent. That Usos New Day match was absolutely incredible. I jumped off my couch twice during that match. Right, I will be watching that as soon as possible. That, for me, I said earlier in the year, I think Tyler Bate and Pete Dunn was my match of the year. I think this topped it. Oh, I'll be good. I wasn't a big fan of that Tyler Bate, but we're getting on, a, yeah. getting on a tangent again. Watch this one, and if you don't like it, I promise not to put my judgment to you again. <laughs> I would say, that's how much we don't want to discuss this show. We're picking pretty much anything else to talk about. <laughs> well, I'm trying to throw some decent wrestling back at you. <laughs> yeah. Every time I pick it, it's like, oh, 
God, what's your pick now? I know. I've got to take control back. <laughs> <laughs> the next matchup is uh, Butcher, Paul Fashorn up against Bob Backlund. So, Backlund was an interesting case here. I'll, it's a very quick match, so I'll run through it and we'll have a chat. But, um, yeah, different. We've got... Butcher Vashawn starts with a top wrist lock before Backlund comes back with a single leg. Uh, some chops and strikes from the Butcher. Very quiet crowd as we get some corner shoulder blocks. Backlund gets him up for a delayed slam, which gets a small pop, puts on the chicken uh, cross-faced chicken wing and picks up the submission victory. You know, very mediocre match that had very mediocre crowd heat. What did you think about this and Bob Backlund and his presentation? Oh, it's just crap. <laughs> no, no, no. Tell me what you really think. <laughs> No, nah, nah, it was just crap. No, nah, I just, there was nothing there. I think Backlund's winding, winding down. He knows he's not getting the belt back. Uh, Butcher for Sean. Wasn't impressed with. Is this the same guy that we watched team up with Vern the year before? Or is there, is, are there many Vashons? No, this is a different one. That was, um, Vashon we saw in the AWA was Mad Dog Vashon. So they were brothers. So yeah, a bit of a dud. Backlund here is definitely not being presented as a star anymore. And they have hard transitioned away from him. Yeah, yeah I, also, I, also, I don't, I don't like, like when they introduce people as the ex-champion. Doesn't, doesn't, I don't know. No. It'd be like, be like every time, time that Man, Man City or Man United, United or Liverpool or whoever's won the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, yeah Premier, Premier League winners, winners of the, the Premier, Premier League, League like, on Sky. Sky. It just doesn't make any sense. I think we have far too many Liverpool fans listening to this show to take too many shots. Yeah, okay, well, moving right along from football, because I don't want to alienate half the listeners, which I think a good portion of them are football fans, let's go into Mean Gene Oakland with Greg the Hammer Valentine for a promo, which I had marked down as a bit of a dud. What did you think? Greg Valentine. I mean, he could paraglide in, in and then, then be on, on, I don't know, water, water skis, skis, then on roller, roller skates, skates, do a... Do a Triple, triple Lindy, Lindy land, land and then, and then do, do, do the best, best promo, promo in the world, world uh, using the power of Hogan, Flair, Austin, Austin the, rock, the Rock, and I still, still only, only think he was shit. shit. <laughs> I, thought I, I thought I hated some of these shows. That's a new level. That's brilliant. Greg Valentine before. He started ranting about, about female, female wrestling, wrestling and let's, let's put it this way. It's not like he did himself to me. Afterwards. <laughs> that is brilliant. Um, Valentine, of course, has the title shot against Hulk Hogan on this show. And um, we go from there pretty quickly into Gene with Hulk Hogan. So, obviously, these pre-recorded promos. Um, Hogan's not got his shtick here down pat yet either for his, his promos. It's not, let me tell you something, mean Gene, brother. And it's not finishing with the, what you're going to do. It's just very much a um, fiery babyface promo from Hogan at this point. He's full of charisma, but he's not got any style just yet. No, no, I, I think, think a little bit of this promo was brought, brought to you by, by Scarface. So. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, so we go to our title match. It's the Incredible Hulk Hogan may or may not be under the influence taking on Greg the Hammer Valentine. Promo, promo makes, makes no, no sense. sense. Getting ready for his title confrontation. Let's go now back... Let's go now back into the locker room and uh, get an interview with incredible Hulk Hogan and Gene Okerlund. 
Ladies and gentlemen, tonight here at Madison Square Garden, title defense for the heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan. Tonight, Greg the Hammer Valentine, watch out for the figure four. Me Gene, New York City is alive and well, man. Everywhere I go, man, the electricity is flowing. And tonight, tonight after I put the hammer down, when the Hulkster puts the hammer down, New York City, I'm gonna call the electric company. We want all the Greg the Hammer. You're not gonna see nothing, brother. It's gonna be boom, boom, boom. Just moments lights. away for the world champion. He's still got a little bit of the um, the old Jimi Hendrix spiel going on here as well. He's he's not yet got his his own persona. Let me Gene Daddy. Let me tell you, like it's just very. Yeah. Um, it, it's different. We'll, we'll put it in and let everyone decide. But yeah, we're not there yet. Hell, Hell no. no. <laughs> so Gene tells us that Hogan's coming out to. Uh, he says being led down by Iron the Tiger, which obviously we don't hear. He's coming out to Real American on. Even on YouTube, it's it's been overdubbed because this was taken from the um the WWE classics on demand before the network started, um and someone's just stuck it up on YouTube straight from an old VHS rip by the look of the quality that we watch. But hey, thanks for putting it up there because we had to see it. I I, I can't, can't believe, believe it's still there. there. It's been, been there for a couple of years. years. Yeah, well, thankfully for us it is. Hogan, you can tell, even like, I know, I know that we talked about the pop being overdubbed earlier, but you can still, even after the music stops, the crowd's going wild. You can see them visually reacting to him. He is very hot at this point in time. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah the, the crowd, crowd definitely, definitely want to watch Hogan. Hogan. You can see even the difference in his um, reactions from the the title win to now. You can see he's definitely a star on the rise. Yeah, he's, yeah, definitely, he's definitely, getting definitely getting bigger, bigger as before. He's definitely, he's definitely more, more wheat weeks. <laughs> that is true. Um, Valentine jumps him early, so Hogan's turn to see how that feels, but Hogan no-sells it. Um, Hogan comes back with some punches, a clothesline, a big slam, and rakes Valentine's face with his boots to another Hogan heel move for you there. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah without, without doubt. No, 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 no part, part of his, of his offense, offense had to change, change when he, he turns heel. heel. Hollywood heel Hulk Hogan. He's always a heel. He just jumps out in the 80s face. <laughs> Valentine uh, hits a back suplex and some elbows before locking on a camel clutch so he's been training with the Iron Sheik evidently doesn't do it too well so it doesn't get the submission hits a fish drop for a two count before the suplex as Gorilla Monsoon runs down some of the people waiting to challenge Hulk Hogan including the Iron Sheik uh, Dr. Doctor D, David Schultz and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff apparently all want a title shot at the Hulkster everything's not quite in a vacuum yet like today if you were watching Jinder Mahal versus Shinsuke Nakamura, they're only going to talk about that issue and not allude to anyone else unless there's a number one contender match specifically designed to do that or the other person is out there. It's like no one else exists in that moment. Uh, without, without, again, going, going on, on a tangent, tangent, I think, I think it's, it's the worst, worst uh, part, part of WWE, WWE booking, booking is the fact that people, people don't, don't interact. interact. It's like, it's like they're, they're all in their own, own little, little bubbles. bubbles. Yeah, absolutely. I agree completely. Uh, so this is a good change of pace here. They're talking about other contenders and setting up future matches for Hol- for Hogan. Uh, Hogan hits a shoulder breaker and then a big boot. They brawl along the outside for a while before getting back in. Valentine hits an elbow for a two count, puts on a chin lock. Hogan gets out and they have a bit of a slugfest. Valentine goes to the outside, gets a chair, gets on the apron with Hogan lay down and just whacks Hogan's chair right in front of the referee. And that is not a disqualification. What the fuck? Um, hits him with a leg, gets in, and goes to put on the, the figure four, but Hogan blocks it. So he hits a backbreaker and a second rope elbow, which gets him a two count. But then he goes to the well once too often, goes up top, comes off the top rope, but Hogan's on his feet and meets him with a clothesline. Off the ropes, big leg, one, two, three, and another good pop, but Hogan's finishing sequence, again, not quite there yet. That is, it's coming in the next year or two. 
yeah, yeah it's, it's odd seeing him not hooking up, up to get, to get that, that, that finish. finish. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that he didn't allow Valentine to put the figure four on either, because normally he takes the finisher so that he can look stronger when he comes back to win. Yeah, 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 yeah it's, it's, it's another part, part of his stick, he, he does, does a lot, lot more. more. The, 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 the only thing I find, I find with Hogan, Hogan again, again as being, being a face, is he's just, just so, so much bigger, bigger than the, the heel. heel. Yeah, that's true. I mean, later on coming up, when he goes on the Monster World Tour, he'll get that. But yeah, they need, they certainly need to be a bit more creative with their cheating and helper managers and stuff like that in the meantime. Yeah, because otherwise they just don't look credible size-wise. Our next matchup is Charlie Fulton taking on Antonio Inoki. This popped me a little bit, a chance to get to see Antonio Inoki wrestle in the garden. I was quite happy to see this on the card. What did you think about Inoki? Well, I, I was quite shocked that he was there. And wrestling. I mean, I've got no idea who Charlie Jobson is. But, uh, I mean, what I liked is they describe Inoki uh, as the martial arts champ of the world. And it's like, <laughs> it's like you, you've been listening to, uh, oh, God, oh, superstar Billy Graham. And he's just they just only know of martial arts. There's, there's not varieties or different uh, doctrines of martial arts. There's just one martial art, and he is the martial arts champ of the world. I know. I mean, I, I heard a rumor that... Um... They were originally going to have superstar Billy Graham take on an Antonio Inoki as the main event of WrestleMania 3, but they didn't think that the Silverdome would be big enough to bring in all the people that would want to see that matchup. No. I mean, can you imagine? They'd, they'd, have to, uh, they'd probably have to go use something like a big stadium th- like 10 years before they even did. Actually, oh, the Silverdome's be... a massive stadium, isn't it? Yeah, it'd have to be open air. It'd have to be like one of them Korean ones where there's 150,000 people in it or something. I think they're going to sell out Billy Graham versus Antonio Inoki in a in a and let's put a stip on it so it has to be a martial arts only match. <laughs> I, th- I think I'd buy a ticket. That's to be a train wreck. <laughs> so Charlie Jobson, as you called him, starts us off with a hammerlock, which is a, always a good sign on this show. Um, before Antonio Inoki comes back with a single leg and a leg lock, Fulton gets to the ropes, um, puts on a headlock, then into a chin lock. Anoki comes back with some leg, kick, leg kicks, knocks him down, and as I bend down to right, I hear Anoki catches him with a big karate kick to the back of the head, almost an Enzigori-style move, picks up the one, two, three in pretty quick fashion. So it wasn't much of a match, but it was an impressive showing for Anoki. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, he came in, did what he had to. The other guy was a, you know, I mean, I know we talk about him as jobbers, but they, did, they are enhancement. He did a good job. I was just looking at Wikipedia. Apparently, this was for the WWF World Martial Arts Heavyweight Champion. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have a belt, though, did he? No, I mean, I, I don't know if it's, this is one of them things where you click on Wikipedia and it actually links to a picture of something you really don't want to see, so I'm going to leave it, because I've never <laughs> heard of that that championship belt. Maybe he ran Billy Graham out of the Federation when he took it off him. Well, yeah, I mean, probably had to job him out, and then uh, and Oki ran, went on a, on a, on a uh, business-defining tour with the belt. <laughs> Our next match is for some real belts. It's Terry Daniels and Sergeant Slaughter. Terry Daniels described as the first, um, was it first boot camp graduate from Sergeant Slaughter or something like that. And they're challenging the tag team champions of Dirty Dick Murdoch and, sorry, ta- sorry, I can't stumble over my words. They're challenging the tag team champions of Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis. Aye, yeah. I mean, I think it was the Cobra Corp. I thought this would be interesting. I've not seen... Uh... I don't think I've seen Dick Mur- Murdoch or Adrian Adonis. Uh, certainly, that I can remember. I've probably seen Adonis later on down the line. Not really seen the Sarge wrestle. And Terry Daniels, I'm assuming he's Paul Daniels' brother. 
Well, the, my notes here in the first part are all about appearance. Adrian Adonis is very skinny, and Sergeant Slaughter has a lot of hair, two things that shocked me greatly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's quite daft. You look at that and you see, see sort of like what they become, and you're like, oh, that's a bit weird. If, you, if you'd done that a bit sooner, you might have got over a bit quicker. <laughs> we get uh, Dick Murdoch and Terry Daniels starting. Dick Murdoch with a nice headlock takedown before working on the arm for something different. Terry Daniels reverses that and works on Dick Murdoch's arm. Um, we get a bit of a knee lift by Dick Murdoch. They both tag out. Slaughter comes in, but Adrian Adonis goes to work on his arm. Slaughter fires back, goes to work on the arm of Adrian Adonis, tags in Terry Daniels, who goes on the arm. Grilla Monsoon says that um, Adrian Adonis has chewing gum in the ring, and I've seen many guys choke in my time on that, and I'd like Grilla just to name one for me. Yeah, uh, I would like him to go through, you know, when they... Uh... The CW shows and they did how many uh, wrestlers had passed on. Then Gorilla went on and they had a graphic of wrestlers that have died choking specifically on chewing gum in the ring. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> Not one wrestler I think has died that way in in, in all the time I've been uh, watching wrestling. They've not even done a spot of accidentally swallowing, but pretending they're dying. No, I'm pretty sure that's just Gorilla Monsoon going into business, but it's classic Gorilla. I love it. Oh, yeah. Adonis hits a nice leapfrog and a monkey flip before Terry Daniels goes back on the arm, and surprisingly, the crowd are quite hot for this. Um, they really do want to see the faces get the titles. They brawl along the outside. They come back in, and Terry Daniels goes on the arm. Dick Murdoch comes in, hits him with a slam, but Terry Daniels goes to work on his arm. An arm drag. Murdoch pounds on him in the corner. Terry Daniels with an arm drag, and then back to work on the arm again. And Grilla Monsoon says what we've all been thinking. Terry Daniels has really mastered the arm drag. Yeah, I think he's learned one one move in the uh, Cobra Court. I mean, I would suggest to the Sarge maybe he needs to teach a few more before taking them out on combat duty, but, you know, <laughs> I'm not the military man. <laughs> Gene then turns around to Griller and says, you look fantastic in a tux, and it was just a little bit of an awkward moment on commentary. It was even weirder because they're not, up until that point, you'd not seen them at ringside, I don't think. So I was like, well, why do I, why, why is he in this tux? I thought he was in a box somewhere commentating. Why would... Why would he do that? <laughs> Adonis hits three nice leapfrogs uh, in quick succession, then a back elbow. Murdoch comes in, but he gets hit with a drop kick and then an arm drag. Slaughter comes in and goes to work on both the heels, elbows, punches um, on the arm of Dick Murdoch, and then we get uh, a double-team knee drop from Terry Daniels and Slaughter for a two-count. Murdoch hits a side hip block on Terry Daniels and then puts on an abdominal stretch. Adonis comes in and they hit the knee. There's a bit of a botch pin here, which gets a one count after the knee drop. Um, we get a running power slam and Murdoch comes back in and the pace starts to slow down a little bit here. Um, we get a double team on Daniels for a while before he comes back with some drop kicks and hits a hot tag. Slaughter comes in and locks the Cobra clutch on a Dick Murdoch, but Adrian Adonis comes in from behind, hits him with a knee in the back, and this allows them to pick up the one, two, three on Terry Daniels while Slaughter's out of the way. Um, Sorry, that, that does not allow them to pick up the three. Uh, Terry, Dan Terry Daniels comes in and hits three drop kicks and a crossbody for a two. They all come in, and while the ref is with Sergeant Slaughter, um, the heels hit almost a demolition device, but with a knee rather than an elbow onto Terry Daniels, and that allows them to pick up the one, two, three, while Slaughter is distracted with the referee. That looks a devastating finishing manoeuvre. It's pretty good for the time, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it looked nasty, <laughs> which I guess it's supposed to. I thought not a bad match. I mean... It had a lot of uh, 80s cliches in there with the, the uh, overuse of the face complaining to the ref to let the heels cheat. But, yep. you know, style of the times and all that. Like wearing an onion on your belt. 
<laughs> it was a style at the time. No, this was brilliant. I, I liked this. It had too much Terry Daniels and not enough Sergeant Slaughter, too many arm drags and working on the arm. But as far as the crowd, they were right into this. It was great for me to see Slaughter and Adonis and to a lesser extent Dick Murdoch back here, you know, guys that I haven't seen a lot of in their heyday. So I, I quite enjoyed it. And I thought the finishing sequence and the finishing move especially was great. Yeah, yeah nice. nice. Uh, uh, I'll probably, probably the match, match of the night so far. Slaughter cleans house of the heels after the match, and then we go backstage to Mean Gene with the fabulous Moolah and Captain Lou Albano. Captain Lou Albano has one sort of um, superstar Billy Graham type rhyming rant that he brings up three times in the one promo. So I'll put a little bit of that in. And Moolah's very reserved and almost face like in her promo. So a little bit of a weird one, this. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are in the locker room at Madison Square Garden just moments from now. The fabulous Moolah to defend the ladies' crown against challenger Wendy Richter, Captain Lou Albano. Words from you regarding the big match just moments away. Well, Mean Gene, I was back in the locker room and I'm talking to my main lady, the one and only world champion Moolah, and I sat by her side and I, I discussed what's going on, I discussed what we're going to do, the strategy in the match. I feel confident that this woman is beyond being beaten. She cannot be beaten. She's beyond reproach. She's one of a kind, often imitated but never duplicated. I'm ready, they're ready, the fans well, are ready, you're ready, and she's ready, baby. Take it away. Let's hear it from the lady herself. Fabulous Mula, one of the legends in professional wrestling. Go on, champion. I'd like to say the hello to everybody, all my friends and all my enemies. I don't care if the enemies are friends, but I'm going to say hello anyway. I am ready for the match tonight, and Lou has been a wonderful trainer. He's worked me very hard, and I've done everything that he said, and we got along real good, and I know that I'm going to win tonight because I am the greatest, and I have the greatest manager. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean uh, uh, didn't think Mula was particularly full of charisma, charisma. and, and uh, uh, Lou Albano obviously a nut job. job. <laughs> that says everything you need to know moving right along we go to our match this is really the reason we're all here the fabulous Moolah defending her women's championship and I think she said in the promo was it 12 years undefeated yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean I, I, I looked, looked it up and, and she, she did, um, there's, there's a, lot a lot of times time she spent with that belt, belt but, but I'm not entirely convinced how much of that time was spent defending, defending it. it yeah I think she just had possession of it for somewhere between 12 and 112 years yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean that, that, that belt, belt has got, got rust, rust on it it's that old it's basically just a photo frame put onto a leather strap. Yep. <laughs> She's defending against Wendy Richter, um, who is being brought out by Cindy Lauper and her husband slash manager, David Wolf. Uh, and unfortunately, this has girls just want to have fun overdubbed because that's what the crowd are hearing at the time. And during the babyface entrance, Lou Albano is dancing like an absolute spaz in the ring, trying to stop the crowd making noise, you know, doing the sort of... He looks like he's doing the wax on, wax off while falling backwards off a cliff. Yeah, yeah I, I, there's, there's no, no description better, better than, than that. He, I think he's been to the Scarface set with Hulk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. The, thing the thing is, is I, uh, I, uh, I thought I'm going to have, have a little, little look here. See how, see how old uh, Moolah is. Uh, uh, 61. The, the 1960s or the 1860s? Yeah, probably, probably that. that. Uh, uh, in, in fact, fact uh, my, uh, my maths sometimes, sometimes go a little way, way which is odd for a man with a maths degree. degree. But uh, <laughs> I actually got it double-checked by, uh, by the by wife. wife. It was, it was yeah. 61. 61, 61 years, years old in this match. match. Can, you, can tell? you tell? Yes, yes you, you can. can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, she looks pretty old here. She looks like just, she looks like, you know, if someone out there has a nana that still goes to the gym religiously. That's how Moolah looks. I think it's just... There's a point where you just can't be athletic enough to run the ropes. There's there's one move in the very end of the match, and I'll bring up when we get there, that she doesn't look 61 in that. But, yeah, very much she's looking her age here. 
David Wolf joins the commentary team as well, which is something I thought, oh, cool, cool, until about 30 seconds in, and he says, I'll tell you something, Gorilla Monsoon, and then stops talking. Yeah, yeah. I, don't I don't know who Dave Wolf, Wolf is, and also, and also if Wolf, Wolf is his surname, surname why didn't he change his first name to Hammer or Trent or something? Or Trent or something. <laughs> I mean, he's, I mean, got, he's got, got such a cool surname, surname is Dave, Dave Wolf. Wolf. It's like Max Power. Um, David Wolf is the manager of um, Cindy Lauper and also her husband. I did, I did not, not know, know that. that. Yeah, well, he's um, he's the wrestling connection. So, in a way, he's responsible for the birth of Hulkamania. You know, you what? know what? I, I learned, learned something. something. Because he was the one that... He was a big wrestling fan, and he got Captain Lou Albano to appear in Girls Just Want to Have Fun, playing the father of Cindy Lauper. And they then got in touch with David Wolfe to bring Cindy Lauper in for for this whole deal. So yeah, he's one of the main players in, in the, I shouldn't say Hulkamania, but in, in the, the eighties wrestling boom, he's one of the, the main players here. That, another one that's sort of understated. Are we trying to take the piss, piss out of his, out of his name, name then? Well, well done, <laughs> Mr. Wolf. <laughs> There's a lot of stalling early days and you can tell this one's the, the TV main event because they're playing it up like a big match and, you know, really sort of egging the crowd on to get them going. When we get started, Moolah hits an arm drag, but Wendy Richter comes back with an arm drag of her own. And Jean, just a little bit too creepily, says, Wendy Richter looks just superb. <laughs> just, yeah, skin crawled a little bit. <laughs> Every now and again, you get a creepy creep Jean, Jean, and you don't, you don't want, want it. it. <laughs> uh, Moolah hits some punches, and then three snap mares by the hair, the last one of which puts Wendy Richter through the ropes to the floor, which brings big boos from the crowd, but it looked really cool. Yeah, yeah nice, nice little sequence, sequence that. Drags are back in through the ropes by a hair before unloading with some kicks. And then Gene gets a little bit, not Gene, sorry, Gorilla gets a little bit salty on David Wolf for ha- having never been in the ring. So I'm not sure what the deal was there. They're very much still the error of protecting the business, I guess. Yeah, it yeah, wasn't, it wasn't uh, allowing, allowing uh, an, outsider an outsider to come, to come in and tell him, him, tell him, tell him all, all about, about wrestling, wrestling, was he? No, not at all. Wendy comes back with an arm drag before Moolah hits some strikes and clotheslines her throat onto the top rope. Um, and then she gets tied up herself. Wendy Richter ties her up before the referee can get her out. Um, and then we get a full Nelson from Wendy Richter. Muller snap mares her way out of it before Wendy Richter puts the full Nelson back on. And in our second very poor refereeing moment of the night, puts the full Nelson on the fabulous Muller, walks her up to Sydney Lauper, who gets on the apron, thinks about it for a while, and then just drops her with a punch. Yeah, yeah what, what, what is, is it with face face cheating? Cheating? Yeah, and no disqualification again. Slapping Moolah just, just seems weird. weird. Yeah, it um, it's set up for it comes the other way around in a minute, but they did it in the wrong order because you know skipping ahead a little bit here, um, there's a bit of a back and forth with some moves there, um, and then Moolah puts the full Nelson onto Richter and walks her to Lou Albano who takes a swing, but. Richter ducks and Lou Albano ends up sort of falling on his face over the ropes and, and embarrassed him. They should have done that first, then given Cindy Lauper the excuse to take the dig at Moolah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that would have been far better way around. around. Moolah then locks uh, Richter up from the back in a, in a waist lock and then rolls back with a in like a German suplex but no impact and then rolls her into a pinning combination with the bridge and the referee counts one, two, three and the bell rings and it gets my spidey senses tingling for a bit of a swerve here. And yes, we get told that Wendy Richter is the new women's champion. Um, obviously, Jean and, and Gorilla are sort of theorizing that she must have dug a shoulder up and they were both down on the mat. She is the new women's champion. Gets a huge pop from the crowd. That This was a, a big moment for them. Um, they were really, really happy with this title change. Yep, yep, yep. Crowd, crowd loved, loved it. it. I, I wasn't, wasn't a big, big fan, fan of the finish, finish cause cause I like, 
after, after watching, watching the Hope one, one where it's so, so definitive, definitive against, against the Sheik, I just I thought, thought this just seemed, seemed to be like, like let's dodge, dodge Moolah having, having to do a pin, pin. pin. lose convincingly in the, in the ring. ring. And then just to um, add insult to injury on that point, here's where Moolah turns back the clock, gets a full head of steam, and fucking launches herself with the flying drop kick into the back of the referee. I'm marked out huge for that. It's like, <laughs> it's like it's not, not the, the ref's fault. fault. <laughs> he, he, he nailed him. him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even convinced that he knew he was, he was coming. coming. <laughs> she just absolutely nailed him. It was the best drop kick I've ever seen. <laughs> a, 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 a little part, part of me wondered, wondered for a second, second if this was like, like the original, 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 original screw job. <laughs> oh, it was just brilliant. She doesn't, and she, then she tosses him out of the ring as well. Like she is not happy at all. Uh, and Muller, um, this was well, after that. I got a little bit annoyed with her because she just wouldn't get out the ring and let Wendy Richter have a moment. So the commentary team gives that gives him an opportunity to throw to the replay. And watching the replay, the finish looked better than it, it looked live because they actually show the angle where you can clearly see a roll to shoulder off the mat before the three count. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, uh, uh, when you're when doing, you're doing it for the, the crowd, crowd, not not the TV. TV. It, it, it just takes take a little bit out of it, but, but you know, you know, the crowd still, still went wild. So. Yeah, it was good. I didn't mind it. We then we throw back to Gene with Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper. Cindy Lauper calls Lou Albano fatso and the fat guy, so she gets her digs in there. Before we get um, Sergeant Slaughter coming in to congratulate her, Hulk Hogan coming in to congratulate her, and did you catch him stealing someone's uh, line from the future here on this bit? No, I no, missed that. What was, was it? it? Can you dig it, brother? <laughs> yeah, so just basically it was a feel-good moment designed to be similar to the one Hogan got with all the faces coming in to congratulate him earlier in the year. And I think it made Wendy Richter look like a, a bit of a star here. It was good. Yeah, one yeah, thing one I caught from Cindy Lauper was a bit weird. weird. Going, going, I've taught, taught uh, uh, Wendy, Wendy Richter to train, train hard, hard. And I thought, and I thought oh, yeah, good, 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 good. And, and put, 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 put on makeup. makeup. And I'm like, what the fuck? fuck? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, I mean I, 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 I'll, I'll admit, admit I, don't I don't wear makeup, makeup but I'm, but I'm not, not sure it helps in combat, combat sports. sports. No, see, the thing is, Wendy Richter was also 61, but she just looked a lot better. Well, well Cindy Lauper helped, helped, you see. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was just, it was just just, just bizarre, bizarre line in the promo. promo. Times have changed. Cindy Lauper was a little bit eccentric here, but my wife came in on me watching this the other day, and she doesn't often watch much of the this with me in fact i pretty much have to watch it exclusively between the hours of 10 and 1 um, after she's gone to bed but sitting there and trying to explain how big of a deal this was and it made me realize as well that i've probably underrated it over the years as to, to what this meant to the business cindy lauper back in the mid 80s i guess was probably top two or three female singers in the world you know the only other person i guess really that would be a, a bigger household name as far as female pop artists go would probably be madonna i would assume yeah, 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 she, yeah. Was, she, was, she was massive, massive. so to get, to get her to, 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 to you know, in many respects, respects lower herself, herself to wrestling, wrestling was, 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 was a genius, genius move. move. Yeah, I mean, I, I liken it to, like, say, if um, uh, you take your pick on who you think the top female star is in this day and age, but, you know, someone like a, a Lady Gaga or Beyonce being involved in a big wrestling angle now, it'd be huge news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's something that they, they, they probably, probably should consider. consider. Yeah, just got to get the money out. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the problem. problem. We, and we go to our next contest. It's Chief J Strongbow taking on Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Um, uh, now, now, I have, I have to, to uh, admit, admit, once they won, won, I thought, I thought I'm, I'm tapping, tapping out. Because I didn't realise they were all dark, dark matches. matches. Well, you're joking. You set me up and then didn't watch them. 
uh, I hate to say it, but I think you're dead to me. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. it. <laughs> well, I'm just going to tell you what happened very quickly, and I'm not going to ask your opinion now. <laughs> no, nope, no, fair, fair enough. enough. <laughs> uh, this this is pretty shit. It's dodging and stalling. Um, Mr. Wonderful was jacked. Chief J. Strongbow was anything but jacked. Very much looking his age, a la the fabulous Moolah, with his tights pulled way up. Um we get a sleeper, double shoulder, head bash. Um, Chief lands on the bell and the bell rings and it gets my hopes up that I don't have to watch anymore. Um, they actually skip ahead in this match. So even the people cutting it together couldn't be bothered watching it. So you weren't alone. <laughs> <laughs> and we get some no selling by the Chief who fires up and hits chops and knees. Goes for a corner charge, but Mr. Wonderful moves out the way. Hits him with a clothesline for a three. Um, there was more stalling than wrestling. It was a bit of a dud. You missed out on a couple of significant things coming up, though. Uh, Mr. Wonderful's always good to see, but that was not a good opponent for him. Um, we got Samoa number one, which was what actually flashed as the graphic of the screen for Afa now, taking on Rene Goulet, who some of you may know from OSW fame as Wurzel. I didn't, I didn't even recognize the name. name. Yeah, so he's the one with the, the big bushy hair that comes out in the 90s to help break up all the fights. No, oh, thanks. Um, we've got a bit of a um, gimmicked glove on Rene Goulet here. It's the Michael Jackson glove is what Gorilla calls it, similar to what Roddy Piper would have when he was feuding with Bad News Brown and went a little bit racially insensitive. Alpha pounds away. We get a backdrop, a bear hug. Um, we These guys here as well have both, as I mentioned with Chief J Strongbow, they're both what my daughter would call Harry High Pants, both tucking their guts well and truly beneath their waistline of the pants. Oh, Rene brings a new glove out um, and then gr- the commentators sell that he's cheated despite the fact that he doesn't actually punch him. He hits forearms. I'm not sure what the glove's meant to do in that instance, but they're selling it like he's cheating with a foreign object. Affa uses his ass to stop a running Rene Goulet. It is what it is. Um, uh, Rene wants a timeout. Hits an eye rake and stomps on the bare feet of Affa, which was a bit mean. A snap mare and puts him in a nose lock. So that's something interesting. Chops to the face. A bite to the belly of Affa, which is another interesting move. Comes off the ropes, but Affa catches him with a Samoan drop. Two big oohs from the crowd. One, two, three. And that will do it. Very short match. About three minutes, this one. I don't think you need any more. Not that I watched it. <laughs> no. And then you missed a battle royal to finish the show. Ooh. I mean, who was in this battle royal? I don't know if I've got all 20, but the ones I could note were Ron Shaw, Afra and Seeker, Bob Orton, Dick Murdoch, Terry Daniels, Adrian Adonis, The Iron Sheik, Mr. Wonderful, Tito Santana, Mad Dog Vashon, Rene Goulet, Sergeant Slaughter, Samu, a very young-looking Samu, Steve Lombardi, a very young-looking Steve Lombardi, Chief J. Strongbow, Bob, F- Charlie Fulton, Antonio Inoki, and did I say Sergeant Slaughter? I think I did. Yeah, I think so. So basically yeah. everyone that wrestled before. Pretty much, yeah. And a couple of other guys thrown in. Lombardi's out pretty early. He looked very young. Uh, it's just punches and kicks all around. Slaughter and High and Chic, a.k.a. the future Colonel Mustafa, have a good sequence <laughs> in here going at it tooth and nail. Um, some guy I don't know gets thrown out. The camera work is very rough, zooming in way too much and then going out way too far. Slaughter and Dick Murdoch and Adrian Adonis all tumble out together in one of them classic spots where two are fighting and someone else comes and they all go. We've got Affa and Antonio Inoki go at it a little bit. Affa goes out. Orton and Orton misses an elbow and he goes out. Antonio Inoki karate kicks Bob Orton out, actually. Um, 
the final four in the match are Tony Greer, Ron Shaw, Rene Goulet, and Antonio Inoki. Greer goes out, and this allows Shaw and Goulet to double-team on Inoki. Barty hits them all. Um, uh, sorry, all three of them here as well. Black boots, black tights, so Austin would be in heaven. Antonio Inoki ducks as Rene Goulet charges and knocks Ron Shaw out. And then Inoki tosses Rene out to win the Battle Royal. So a good showing for an Antonio Inoki in the garden. Yeah, I mean, that's odd. That's like the for me the headlining show in the way it's laid out but the way they did it in the 80s was a lot different wasn't it yeah the main event was always somewhere in the middle wasn't it before intermission i guess it gave chance for hogan to get to do another match elsewhere yeah so that was that was the brawl to end it all dark matches and all um i watched the whole show you didn't so definitely a bit salty with you now (laughs) yeah i'm in trouble (laughs) but i think yeah i think you're the smarter of the two on the podcast obviously (laughs) Yeah, I, 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 if I'd have realised that they were all dark matches beforehand, I probably would have uh, uh, soldiered on. But I thought, let's leave it at the, uh, let's leave it with the, the title win. What we should have done was the two title wins, fifteen minute podcast over and out. Yeah, job done, gone. <laughs> if I'd have known this was Starcade, I probably would have suggested that. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Uh, yes, Starcade. That's the thing. Now, have you watched all of Starcade? I did watch, for my sins, watch every bit of Starcade. You poor bastard. Should we head over and talk about that one? Uh, let's do it. If we don't, I think um, holding this information in my head will make me go mad. Let's talk about it then. Never talk about it again. Yeah, I'm, I'm not ever going to revisit this one. <laughs> Starcade, as we said, Greensboro Coliseum. Um, and we start with an ending of the first Starcade, the cage match between Flair and Harley Race, before being welcomed to the show by our charismatic commentary team, Bob Coddle and Gordon Soley. Good God, are they uh, laid back. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, why I can't remember, I think it was Austin's podcast with Raven this week talking about how Gordon Soley, I think it was. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was Lance Russell. Forget it. Yeah. It was Lance Russell that enjoyed a vodka while uh, uh, commentating, but I've got to be honest, watching these two, I think they were on something stronger than that. Yeah, some pretty strong sedatives, I think. They were boring the shit out of me. Oh, they were on, they were on, they were on some form of uh, prescription opiate for sure. <laughs> and our opening contest is for the junior heavyweight title. It's Mike Davis defending against Danny Brown, um, a very young-looking Earl Hebner as a referee here. And Danny Brown starts us off with a couple of flying head scissors and arm drag before going into an armbar. We are now in uh, armbar country. <laughs> it's very dark, uh, poorly lit arena as well. Um, we get a bit of a bad botch from Danny Brown, uh, drop down and through the ropes in, an, in installments. It was a pretty poor sequence. Um, he sells his back for a little while. Davis comes back with a couple of slams for a two and a backbreaker for a two before Danny Brown hits a forearm. 
And then we get a small package for a two count from Davis. Danny Brown with a forearm off the second rope, a backdrop and a drop kick for a two count. We get a collision and Davis hits a belly-to-back souple, as Gordon Soley would call it. I do love it when he does that. Um, they're both on the mat, but Danny Brown rolls his shoulder up a la the women's title match we just talked about. And we get the mystery announcement from the ring announcer again here where Danny Brown gets the one, two, three and is declared the new champion. Uh, it was going on okay up until this point. And I'm like, is Mike Davis that big a star? He can't just get pinned. I, I think I have a lot of problems with it. There's a lot of problems in this show. This is just where they start. Well, this is this is um, the first in a series of bad finishes. This was I just this was just decidedly average. It wasn't offensive, but when they when you <laughs> when a pay per view or a big show starts off with you know a junior heavyweight title match, you're thinking, great, they're going to set the tone, and they did set the tone. It was pretty dull. Yeah, here come the luchadors. And what really set the tone for the night and what we're going to witness was <laughs> similar to what they did with the brawl for all. They put the replay on so they can explain to the audience what's happened. And the fucking thing is in slow motion. And it shows the suplex and it shows the referee and he counts one, he counts two, and the replay stops. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, they, they obviously don't have uh, Dick Ebersole giving him giving him advice. They do have a dick, though, because they have my dick move of the week for wasting our fucking time with that replay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I'm just going to say now my dick move of the week is just anybody who's on the uh, NWA booking committee. <laughs> oh, that was just terrible. What that, that, oh, I, I, words can't. We then go to Tony Schiavone with Ric Flair and in another you know, imminent sign of what we're really going to see on this night. He's there in Ric Flair's locker room as Ric Flair paces backwards and forwards and doesn't cut a promo. What a giant waste of time that was. Yeah, he's only like in the top five, maybe top... Yeah, I want to go top five promo men of all time. And we're just going to watch him walk, pace backwards and forwards while Tony Giovanni has a chat to us. Yeah, they'll give uh, later on Steamboat far too long to do an interview. Too much rope. I did notice that the camera angle is like uh, like a really bad Fire Pro, that uh, old, well, it's still out, the uh, wrestling game I could never get into from uh, Japan. Which, I've got uh, it and I look, can't play it. No, I, I think I had it for for a Game Boy emulator, and I was like, I'll give this a go. And I was like, I don't, I don't understand what's going off here. I've been ruined by WWE games. I've got it on. I've got one of them, um, what do you call it? It's a... Uh... It's like a game console that it's out now that it plays all Super Nintendo, Nintendo, Mega Drive, all those games all in one. It's got all different cartridge ports on it. So I got Fire Pro for SNES, and I just can't figure it out for the life of me. Now, there's a problem with wrestling games is when they're too much like wrestling. It doesn't work. If anyone wants to give me some advice or has an English version of the instruction manual, feel free to get in touch. Or if anybody does a podcast on Fire Pro, he'll uh, gladly be a guest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll come and lend my zero expertise. <laughs> we go to our next match. Once again, refereed by Earl Hebner. It's Mr. Ito up against Brian Adidas. I did think he was called Brian Adidas. It seemed, uh, seemed a bit like a uh, brand. Yeah, if, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Infriction? Yeah, brand infringement. That's it. Yeah, so... 
Um, this is, this doesn't get started much better. Some really awkward chain wrestling and some weird bumps out to the floor. It's just very clunky early doors, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I have two lines for this match. It's that clunky. I've got the names and then what I thought of it. And then in the middle, I thought this is, this is, this is not going anywhere. No, it doesn't do much. I mean, we get a, a leapfrog, a drop kick, and a takedown from Adidas. Ido hits an arm bar. Adidas goes onto Ido's arm. Ido hits a slam. Adidas keeps the arm through the slam. Uh, we get some punches, some chops. And then Brian Adidas picks up Mr. Ido for an aeroplane spin. And somehow that's enough for the one, two, three. And my notes here just say, fuck right off. That is not a finish to a match. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you could just put that at the end of pretty much. In fact, every match on this card. I think is, so. Fuck off. That is not an ending to a match. Yeah, I, I, if you read through my notes here, you'll just see my aggression escalates as this show goes on. But yeah, that's two for two on poor finishes and a non Rick Flair promo inserted in between. Yeah, that's exactly what you want when you're uh, watching a bit of wrestling. Is it, that that uh, sequence of events? We then go to our Florida Championship match, Earl Hebner again, three in a row. He's going to be refereeing this one, and it's Mike Graham challenging Jesse Barr. I had it the wrong way around in my notes. Some For some reason, I had Mike Graham as a champ. I don't think we actually saw the belt really come out before the match. No, I didn't think. I also, it, it's like, how many belts? Because it just gets worse it goes on. He's like, how many belts do you have? Too many. Yeah, far too many. And the Florida Championship being defended in... Uh, North Carolina, so another interesting one there. Yeah, obviously it must be like the uh, old NWA committee thing. We start the match with Mark Graham hitting an arm drag and a drop toe hold, and uh, Mike Graham, sorry, um, very shaky camera work here. It's not good. Um, Bar comes back with a chin lock and then to a wrist lock. Bar some corner strikes and pulling the arm over the rope. Graham with a drop toe hold and an Indian death lock and drops a la Triple H many years later. <laughs> Ah, uh, Triple H. Yeah, always uh, looking at the NWA for ideas. <laughs> a test of strength with Bar getting the better of that. Uses the ropes to stay in control, so cheating a little bit there. Graham eventually comes out with a headbutt and then solely uses a line I hate in work in any in any workplace environment, going back to basics because, in my opinion, it doesn't actually mean anything. No, no, it doesn't. It's just pointless <laughs> management speak. Yep. Graham with a figure four, and that gets a big pop, but Jesse Barr escapes, puts on a chin lock. Cameraman seems to get hit by an earthquake here because the camera just starts shaking like crazy. We get the figure four, uh, sorry, the chin lock worked for an absolute ice age. I've got here, we're heading into hammerlock territory for how long this chin lock is on. Um, Mike Graham with a leg breaker, works a leg, a figure four, but the ropes are used to get out. We get a ref bump, and then both of them hitting roll-ups for two counts before Jesse Barr... Puts a dirty pin on using his feet on the ropes for the one, two, three in another cheap finish to retain his title. Uh, it was a, a unit of wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the one thing that, that people complain about super kicks and everyone's doing them these days, but uh, how many people do the figure four on this show or attempt to, or when we watch these shows, it's like the, the, it's the least protected finisher. Yeah, everybody's doing it. it. It's second only to arm bars and arm locks. Yeah, it's like, and I know that you can't, sorry, maybe it was it's one of those moves that a lot of people do, but you'd think that, like, there's, say, you know, on this show, Flair's there, so shall we not do, Can could you cut the figure fours out, please? Yeah, just just do us that one favour. Yeah. Oh, and wrestle better. 
<laughs> we then get um, a package of Steamboat and Slater being uh, taken out by Tully Blanchard and Black Bart and a replay of the pin in the last matchup just to make sure we all knew how shit of a finish it was. Yeah, because that's what you want reminding of. Before going to our next matchup, which is a tag team elimination match. Um, oh, sorry, before we go to our next matchup, the tag team elimination match, Soli and Bob Cottle throw us to Tony Schiavone, who's now with Dusty Rhodes, and another promo that just wasn't a classic Dusty promo at all. It's really, it's it's not a good night for the talking either. No, I thought, I'm under the impression that Dusty could just do a promo about cheese and it'd be great, but this is not a good one. No, not at all. Um, we then go to our next contest, which, as I said, is a tag team elimination match. It's the Zamboi Express with Paul Jones taking on Assassin Number One and Buzz Tyler. So, you know, Phil star-studded affair this one. Yeah, it's, it's that good that Assassin Number Two couldn't make it. <laughs> and they call the Zamboni guys one and two at the start before realizing, okay, the first guy with the elbow pads is called Akeem, um, and he starts with the Assassin some house show stalling before all four get in. Um, and then we get some, I think we've got the Zambonis bail to the outside. Um, Muhammad is the other Zam- Zamboi. He's in with Buzz Tyler. Uh, they're in, they're out. Uh, Assassin and Akima back in corner strikes some punches. Muhammad gets in control. This is just really, really bad. There's just nothing good going on here. Akeem and, and Buzz come back in, punches. There's no moves. This is my note here. There's no actual wrestling moves going on. A four-man brawl. And then we get two of them are counted out, and the other two stay in the ring in a... have a, a double head knock. So the assassin gets a... Um, gets Buzz off the ropes, pushes him onto Akeem, who's lay on the floor for the one, two, three, finishing the match without an actual move in an absolute shitful affair that is going to rate on the Hammerlock scale, and I gave it a solid 8 out of 10. What did you think? I, I can't argue an 8 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale. This was like when you first get a WWE game and you put it on easy. You know, if you're building your character and you're sort of like building it up and building it up and then you go and beat the big show up, because that's what I'm doing, and then you're testing all your moves, that is what this match looked like. It was horrendous. Utter shit. Just like I'm, I'm looking here and I'm sort of half speaking into the microphone and I'm half just glancing ahead at my notes, thinking, "God, how boring am I?" But then I realize I read my next note and it's like, "No moves have happened in this match." I'm like, "Oh no, it's not just me. I didn't just ignore everything that happened. It was really this shit." No, I mean this might feel like we're rattling through it, but it really was. It, there, there is nothing in these matches. Once, once we're on pat, we're on match five now, and they're all the same. They, they, they're. Even the ones with the uh, steps all feel the same. There's no variety. It was just, yeah, god-awful. And then we go to our next match, which is Manny Fernandez up against Black Bart. Um, Black Bart has J.J. Dillon with him, and we're told this is for the Brack... 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 For the Brackus. For Brackus, Brackus. I am Brackus. (laughs) It's for the Brass Knuckle Championship. (laughs) My name is Brackus. Und ich komme von Deutschland. Mein Gewicht ist 300 Pfund. Und wenn ich nach Amerika zu der World Wrestling Federation komme und Vader in den Ring kriege, werde ich ihn zerstören. I mean, I, I would have been happy to see Brackus, to be honest, at this point. <laughs> no, it's bad if you're pining for Brackus. <laughs> Bit of Brackus. Uh, I'm sorry. Oh, here we go. 
Brass Knuckles Championship. This might be a bit different. No. And no, guess what they don't use in this match? Well, no Brass Knuckles, of course. <laughs> That's what they'd expect you. That's what they think you'd want to see. Swerve, bro. <laughs> oh, it's awful. It's it's just a slugfest with tape fists. So this is one of the, the things that I've um I've never understood with wrestling is why a tape fist is supposed to be worse than a normal fist. The only thing I can think of is it protects your fist when you punch in the other person, so you can do it more. But even then, I'm not entirely convinced. Uh, that, that's how it works. Gordon Soli comes out with a couple of doozies. He says that this tape can rip your face to shreds. I don't think smooth tape can rip your face to shreds more than Knuckles can, personally. No, no. Uh, smooth tape has the uh, overriding uh, description of being smooth. <laughs> and then this is my favourite. This is my absolute line of the night of both shows, of any show, possibly the line of the podcast. I'm going to go that far. Gordon Soli. The Brass Knuckles title means exactly that. Thanks, Gordon. So, this match has no Brass Knuckles, Gordon. How the fuck does it mean exactly that? (laughs) It's not even like the championship is... The belt is actually Brass Knuckles, like Cody's got the Ring of Honor. You know, it's not like the, the, you win some brass knuckles. That's what you're, you're going for. There's, there is no brass knuckles involved in this match. Hang some above the ring, for fuck's sake. Just anything. But no, it doesn't mean that because there's no brass knuckles here. It means the exact opposite of that. They should start with brass knuckles and then the heel gets heat by taking the brass knuckles off of the face. That's how it should work. Absolutely. But it's just a punch fest. It's just punching, punching, punching. I've just got here punch. They both punch. One punches, the other punches. Trent from Punchy. Punch, punch, punch. More punches. Yeah, I'm sorry to go back to the games again, but it's like it's the opposite of how you play a wrestling game, which is basically punch, get them dizzy, then do a move. That's how everyone plays WWE games. This is just if you just press X all the time. Yeah. Manny Fernandez is bleeding. Um, there's a bit of a brawl along the outside. They come back in for punches. They're both cut. This is more like um, No Holds Barred than NWA Wrestling. It's it's like a deleted scene from, and I mean the movie No Holds Barred. It's like a deleted scene from that. <laughs> <laughs> What's that smell? <laughs> oh, even the blood means nothing. I don't even know where it comes from. It's just no. pointless. Doesn't Black, add out anything. Not one iota. Black Bart hits a low blow and then an elbow for a two count. Uh, before he goes for the ropes, um, cut off by JJ. Manny Fernandez gets a roll-up for the 1-2-3 in another lame finish that the crowds, for some reason, popped for. I just don't get it. No, I, I have no idea. It's just rubbish. Uh, I, I don't even think that the the uh, the NWA Brass Knuckles Championship is that big that he gets like a, somebody winning the title pop. No, it's just crap. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a limb here and say this might be the worst show I've ever watched. I can't argue with that. I I, I can usually do these in uh, 
one or two sittings depending and this one I, 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 I was finding other things to do before remotely wanting to watch this this took me like I, three I, weeks I, I actually started December to dismember <laughs> while I should have been watching this <laughs> I've done that I'm not doing that again no, I thought, I thought to myself, I mean, I, I need something. I need to watch something. I thought, well, the only uh, one-night stand I've, or ECW show I've probably not watched uh, from that little run in the mid-2000s was that one. I thought, go on then. It's, it can't be any worse. Mm. <laughs> it's up there. Well, I've only, I think I've only seen the Hardys match, Hardys and uh, Eminem. So up until that point, it was a lot better. If you stop it then, it's a great pay-per-view. Yeah, but I, I haven't gone any further. Matt Strikey came out and I was like, whoa. Yeah, don't go any further. <laughs> um, we then get a seven-minute intermission, um, which we don't sort of cut and come back to for the video release. We just chat to the commentators, then watch some highlights of the previous year's Pro uh, Starcade before going into the promo you alluded to earlier, Ricky Steamboat. Um, he doesn't want Tully Blanchard to know about his injuries, of which he's now going to list all of them live on television. Okay, once again, we're back with Ricky Steen. We're talking about Starcade 83, but now let's talk about tonight. The fans have seen the tape of what happened with the Long Riders and, of course, Tully Blanchard. And, of course, you have a big match tonight. You have put up $10,000. They injured your back not too long ago. The question is, we're going to see exactly what happened once again as uh, they went off the top rope with a boot and went on the, look like maybe the small of your back, and that, that could injure anybody. The question is, as you watch this with me right now, how are you feeling for this all-important night in your uh, in your career? Well, Tony, as you know, everybody gears himself for this this particular night. Um, nothing. Everybody's talked about this particular evening all year long. Uh, depending on who you're going to wrestle, just depends on the, what the buildup is to you know for throughout the year. Uh, I had my run-in with Wahoo McDaniel in the United States Heavyweight Championship. That ended up to be uh, something at the NWA. We couldn't see things my way, and um, had a tournament for that. And Sort of got a little frustrated there and took off in another direction with Tully Blanchard. And everybody has seen uh, over the past few months of the what I've had to go through with this man. Now Ron Bass, Black Bart, J.J. Dillon, they come into my gym, try to make it look like a zoo, uh, try to purposely hurt my brother, this and that. And what the fans saw on TV was you saw, uh, I guess, together about four men, Bart, Bass, J.J. Dillon, and also Tully Blanchard dressed up as one of the long riders, mm -hmm. tossing Bart the boot coming off from the small of my back, and this just happened just a couple days before this important okay. evening right here, something that every wrestler has been gearing himself all year long. Uh, I've had to go to the chiropractor every day now for the last two days uh, to get my back uh, adjusted. I've got some, uh, my lower floating ribs are bothering me. I've also got a severe bruise in the lower part of my back, and also uh, the muscles have been torn away slightly. Um, right now, uh, I can stand on one side pretty evenly. The other side, if I put my weight on it, hurts me tremendously. But like I said, everybody's geared themselves for this particular evening. Uh, mentally, I'm going to try and just throw the pain out of my mind, gear everything towards Tully Blanchard, because this is how important this evening is to me. I've laid down some heavy stipulations. I've laid down some money, money out of my pocket. Not a promoter's come up here and offered money or helped me out in any way. This is money out of my pocket, and Blanchard's also got money out of his pocket. This is very, very important. And over the last couple of months, it's developed into a personal issue. So like I said, I've got some pain with me right now. I'm not going to let uh, Blanchard, if he's listening anywhere around, I don't want him to know exactly how severe it is. But I'm going to go in there, and I'm going to give it my best shot. Blanchard, you know I've been down before. And in this profession, you understand also, regardless if you're hurt or well, you still carry on. And when I'm looking across that ring at you tonight and into your eyes, brother, that's the only thing that I can feel in my heart is to get after you 
and everything that you've stood for and everything that you believe for because everybody knows that you've nothing but a yellow belly coward but in the contract you cannot go nowhere you're gonna have to stay in there and face me the pain that I'm feeling is gonna be erased by the time I enter that ring but you can bet Blanchard that in the back of my mind I'm gonna remember that you were part of trying to put me out of this important evening tonight we're going to try to talk to James J. Dillon and Tully Blanchard later on. And, of course, all eyes will be on this man, Ricky Steamboat, as he puts up $10,000 and goes after the TV title here tonight. We'll try to find James J. Dillon and Tully Blanchard on the other side of the Coliseum. Meanwhile, let's go back to Bob Cottle and Gordon Soley. Yeah, it's the bit where they forget that they're on television. The WWE do it all the time, where, where it's like one minute it's a TV show and then the next minute it's real. Doesn't it make, make any sense. It makes Steamboat look like a right Muppet. Yeah, well, I don't think there's any part of this this promo that doesn't make him look like a Muppet. <laughs> the commentators then chat with um, chat about sorry Tully Blanchard and Ricky Steamboat. Uh, sorry, uh, we sorry. Then we go back to Tony Schiavone interviewing J.J. Dillon and Tully Blanchard. Um, they rightly call Ricky Steamboat a whiner because he just did just whine about how he's so injured and banged up and still has to have the match. So you know, I think the heels are coming off more correct there. And then we go into Jimmy Valiant up against Paul Jones in a tuxedo street fight. This should be absolutely shit. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think the number of stipulations on a match usually Ed lays it down the uh, shitness scale. So it's a tuxedo street fight, loser leaves town match. Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, don't just leave it at tuxedo. I, I, can they both lose? <laughs> I, well, I think, I, think they, I think in many respects they do. No, I th- I, you know who really loses here, Richie? Us. <laughs> Absolutely. We lose. <laughs> Wrestling lost on this night. <laughs> Wrestling is not the winner. <laughs> no, 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 nobody won, but everybody lost. <laughs> I, I, I feel it cost me money, even though it's on the network and then technically free. Well, no, it's not free, but you know, it's part of a massive library of, uh, of shows. And personally, I just wish they'd delete it. I think it should be like some sort of cheat code. If you get through all this show, like this little pop-up comes up on your network, we're, we're not charging you this month. Bravo. So. No, I, I, I reckon you should get, you know, like you get a, you get like loyalty cards and like celebrities get that you can eat as much as whatever you like. I think Nando's over here, do you get the Nando's black card? You should get the WWE black card, which gives you just access everywhere. If you can get through this entire show in one sitting without pausing, network not crashing, you get your WWE black card. It allows you to any event, WrestleMania, front row seats, <laughs> flights, yeah, anything. I, I don't think you're overselling how much we deserve for watching this crap. Vince will drive you around. <laughs> you can be on the Austin podcast. Yeah, I, th- I think Vince should maybe pop up on the end of this and say, don't bag me for what I do with Roman. You sat through this, Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> then, then gives a thumbs up. <laughs> so... Paul Jones runs around to avoid him. Jimmy Valiant chokes him. Um, we get a stuffed flower into the mouth, and then we get some stripping off, which is pretty awkward. Two old guys beating each other up and stripping each other off. Um, then they're stuck to the ropes, and they're just basically in their in their duds now. Um, a, a bit of an escape, a knee to the back. Um, Jimmy sells by choking him, um, just sells with his arms about being choked, fires up the same way, just looks like an absolute idiot, puts on a sleeper. Uh, Paul Jones gets cut somehow amongst all this. Akeem from the Zamboni Express comes out, hits the referee. The assassin comes out and 
Jimmy Valiant ends up going all over Akeem. JJ Dillon comes in, uses a foreign object for Paul Jones to pick up the 1-2-3 in another shite match, which features on the Hammerlock scale. And this one got a 9 out of 10 because they're not even bloody wrestlers. No. Now, the only part of this that made me uh, remotely entertained is a bit where Paul Jones is tied to the ropes. It just made me think of that Batista duct tape, really duct tape promo he did. But uh, that, that was just me... Uh, basically going off on a tangent in, uh, on thoughts to get me out of having to watch this match. It was crap. awful. Even, even worse, I don't know why J.J. Dillon came out. Is, is it just because he's a heel? I think so. I don't, I don't know if they're all aligned back here or not. I couldn't even be asked to go back and read about any of these guys. They didn't, des- they didn't give me a decent match. They don't deserve my research. No, no. It was just, let's just get on to the next match. Tony Schiavone then is with Ric Flair, and it's a Ric Flair promo this time, but it's not quite the Flair we come to know and love, which seems to be something we're saying all through the night, doesn't it? No one here has really got their stuff down pat, even to a lesser extent Hogan on the previous show, but it's all just very underwhelming. It's very, very, very low-key, but badly low-key. It's not like they're going for that very sports sport feel. You know, that's what the NWA was all about. It's like it's proper, it's real. It's not that cartoon stuff up north. But yeah. this just feels too far the other way. There's, there's hardly any showmanship. Yeah, pretty poor. And then we go to our next contest, which is Dick Slater up against Ron Bass with J.J. Dillon. They exchange strikes. Well, Sorry, go on. I was going to say, for another title, the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship, because you can't have too many titles. I did not even have that note written down that this was for a title. I obviously was falling asleep. Oh, it was horrendous. Just apps. Just, just, we're just going to keep going. Keep going. Yep. Um, we then get uh, exchanging of strikes. Dick Slater chases JJ around the outside, then chases him a second time. Can't catch him and looks like a buffoon. Gets back in the ring, puts a headlock on. Ron Bass with a back elbow. Dick Slater back to the headlock. Dick Slater uses a JYD sort of crawling headbutt before the referee blocks Dick Slater, booting him to the face in a bit of a weird spot, actually physically getting involved. This allows Ron Bass to take over punches. We get cheap shots from JJ, a Ron Bass souple for a two count, a bulldog, and some punches from Slater. Um, foot to the face finally. Then Bass eye rake and tosses him out. JJ Dillon gets some more shots on the outside. Slater with punches, shoves the referee. A back play. JJ stumps on, on the pin while the referee is making the count. And Dick Slater slams JJ Dillon, slams Ron Bass, and then attempts a, hits a leg drop, goes for a pin, but the referee says no. He's called for disqualification. Um, and just, yeah, nothing going on here. Another shit finish in another pretty average match. I don't, uh, Dick purposely gets himself DQ'd. What a pilchard. <laughs> I hate that. It's another one. It's like just, it's just crap finish. Oh, we'll just, it, we'll just punch the ref, and then the the face can get. He's all fired up, but he he punched the ref for reasons nobody understands and gets disqualified. Let's keep this rivalry going. Yeah, it's just crap. And then weirdly, in a bit of a a sign that the production's not up to scratch here, we just we have the American national anthem playing. Yeah, just to a flag, isn't it? Yeah, which and I'm thinking halfway through the show what the fuck are you doing um but it's because Ole Anderson and Keith Larson will be taking on Ivan and Nikita Koloff um and 
then we see the heels coming out to the Russian national anthem. So the American national anthem, I'm guessing, was for the faces who were already in the ring but never appeared on camera to let us know that's what was happening. There's only thing I could work out. I mean, it's quite a jaunty American anthem, but it's very weirdly placed. Mm-hmm. Does Keith Larson look like it's um, someone's dad dressed up as Ric Flair for Halloween? Yes. That's <laughs> entirely what he looks like. <laughs> uh, he's, he's ridiculous. Yeah, just a, a very much a budget Ric Flair. He's just not a great wrestler. <laughs> as on a great wrestling on, on a not very great wrestling show. <laughs> we get a four man brawl to start before Larson starts teeing off on Ivan. A drop kick, Oli comes in, and the faces do quick tags and work on the arm to a pretty hot crowd actually at this point. This was a, a um a bit of a hot angle, wasn't it, where the Russians had taken out um who was it they'd taken out? He's on the outside. Um, Don Chinodal. So he was meant to be in the match, but he was taken out and put on crutches that injured his leg. Yeah, because that's what I wanted to see in this match. Yeah, it would have really upped the excitement factor. Yeah, work rate would have shot up. <laughs> Oli um, does that really nice looking tuck the arm behind the back body slam before the faces continue quick tags working on the arm for quite a while. Uh, in fact, it's over half the match that they're working over Ivan Koloff's arm, which is a little bit weird. The face is having control for so long. We get Larson missing a charge in the corner before Ivan goes up top but gets caught. Um, we get a, a bit of a bleeping of the sounds. I'm guessing someone swore within re- arm's reach of the camera there. Um, and they're still working over the arm. It's just taking forever. Before we finally get Nikita Koloff in, it's almost as though the heels did their own hot tag, put some shoulders on Oli and then a bear hug, before bringing Ivan back in, which is a little bit weird, who goes o- over Oli. Nikita comes in for another bear hug. Before Oli gets out for a hot tag, um, Larson comes in with punches and noggin knocker, misses a drop kick. all four are back in. Don Canodal on crutches comes up and gets hit with the Russian sickle, which I pop for. Um, Ivan somehow picks up a pinfall over Larson for a 1-2-3. It's a bit of a schmoz finish, not very good. Um, and then Don Canodal comes in to try and make the save after the match, but eats a big beatdown. Um, but in this whole thing, fighting back, because um, he smashes the crutches over the heels and goes to town on them, he just stops selling any leg injury. He's been on crutches and then he's chasing after the heels without any crutches. Um, just made no sense. No, it's just, can they not have a face win? That's all they needed to do. Give the crowd something to cheer for. I just think that they just, or, or heels win less shittily would have worked. Did you catch the replay? Um, I don't know if you saw it. It was very much sort of off to the side of it. But on the replay, you could see a fan attempting to get into the ring and being stopped by security. No, I miss that. I mean, that that says a lot about how we watch these shows in comparison to how they did. Yeah, obviously someone else was fired up for this. But I, I wouldn't be trying to get in and save the baby face who's fooled everyone by coming out on crutches and is now running after the heels. Yeah, yeah, he, uh, heel turn for me, that is from Don Canodal. Yeah, he's got better powers of recovery than me. Hopefully, yeah, better power. hopefully just second to Sergio Aguero and he can fire us tomorrow night. Well, you'll never know. It uh, <laughs> sounds like he's come back from that rib injury. Maybe he's just going to swerve you. <laughs> Next matchup is $10,000 each on the line. No disqualification to, re- to hang under the title. Tully Blanchard defending his television championship up against Ricky Steamboat. And as this show went, I just kept flicking through 
the um, the little markers on the network to see and just remind myself that I had this coming up and this was probably going to have to be the saving grace for the night. I think I'd already tapped out by this point. I was just like, I don't... I, this this could be uh, Austin, Brett, WrestleMania 13, and I don't think it would have had any effect on me. Well, we get a great pop for Steamboat, so obviously they're forgiving him for being a complete dope earlier in the night. Um, and Tully starts us off with some strikes before they go into a slugfest and Steamboat comes away with a snapmare, a knee drop, and a very big suplex. It's a lot quicker, even in the opening sequence, than any other match has been on this evening. At least it keeps you uh, engaged, although uh, they, they do book it a bit oddly a bit later on, I think. Steamboat rides a side headlock and Blanchard works over the ribs with a good beatdown. Steamboat comes back with some chops and knee drops for a two before Blanchard goes back to the ribs and hits a back suple for a two count. Blanchard is making Steamboat chase him a la the UFC and trying to wear him out, playing on that rib injury. Steamboat with a power slam for a two count and two big chops for a two. A ten punch spot and another chop for a two count before Steamboat spits blood into the face of Blanchard in a pretty disgusting spot there and a bit of a weird act for a baby face. Uh, I, I, I was well, not a big fan of that one. No, pretty pretty gross. With a swinging neck breaker for a two, um, Steamboat takes Blanchard's finisher in, a, in something that was a little bit understated by the commentary team. Hits him with a slingshot suplex for a two count. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice fast match. Uh, definitely different to anything we've seen before. I don't understand why you would book Steamboat to be selling so much, given that it's Ricky Steamboat, but... Uh, I think otherwise you would have given the crowd what they wanted, and this is definitely not what they wanted to do tonight. He does hit a drop kick for a two count, and Blanchard is busted wide open. He's on the apron looking for a foreign object, but Steamboat suplexes him in. On the way, Tully Blanchard nails him with the foreign object and comes down on a crossbody for a two count. Steamboat does recover, hits a splash off the top for a two, a sunset flip, uh, but Blanchard, right in front of the referee, as in facing the referee from about a metre away, takes a foreign object out of his tights, nails Ricky Steamboat, who's trying to drag him down in the sunset flip, and then sits down on him for the one, two, three. Good match, bad finish, shit referee, no hiding it. No, I just think it was rubbish. uh, Again, the finish only makes sense if you watch it again. Because if, if you're half that crowd, you can't see what the guy's just pulled out of his shorts because you can't see it. He's got his back to you. I just can't believe how little they're trying to hide things from the referee in this day and age. No, they don't. it doesn't matter. You know, it's that uh, argument in a no-DQ match where you just bring a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't, think, I don't think New Jack's wrestling at this point. No, no, not yet. Uh, and we go title, 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 title. We're up next for the US title. It is, this was my ridiculous highlight of the night. Superstar Billy Graham up against Wahoo McDaniel defending his United States Championship. Oh, God. It's, Wahoo wasn't great in the AWA match we watched uh, last time. And Billy Graham wasn't great in the match we watched with him on that house show last time. So this is a combination of shite. I just want everybody to watch Billy Graham's karate display during his entrance. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. Um, if you're listening, Jimmy on, on Twitter, that's always tagging me in the gifts. You've got to make this gif and put it on Twitter for everyone to see. It is amazing. This is a man who has, I don't even think seen any martial arts films, let alone done any training. Cause <laughs> what he does, he just flail his arms around while having like a little bit of a, 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 a karate stance. 
I sorry, I ripped my headphones out. I'm everything you just said. I'm sure will be recorded, but I missed it all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I did notice he's uh, he's bulked up a little bit since we last saw Gra- Billy Graham. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he's looking in a little bit better shape actually. I did notice that, especially when he hit the double bicep pose. Yeah, then I noticed that they uh, they said the match will be sixty minutes <laughs> and uh, time limit, and I just put if this goes sixty minutes, I'm drinking the whole bottle of tequila we have downstairs. <laughs> Thankfully, it doesn't. It starts with a test of strength, and Billy Graham throws uh, Wahoo out. Um, we get an eye rake and some punches. Billy Graham puts on a full Nelson, but we get the ropes to break it up. A double chop and another full Nelson. We get a two count um, off the full Nelson somehow. A back elbow for a two. Wahoo then hits some chops, uh, and one, two, three. He pinned him with a chop. Um, not oh, even. Oh no, t- no, the tomahawk chop. Not to the head, not a chop to the head, not off the top rope, just a chop. I I don't think these two wanted to work together, I don't know, but I just got that feeling that neither of them wanted to be there. I think Superstar Billy Graham probably wanted to win, while McDonald didn't want to lose, they just went out and the crowd lost out, we lost out. I think this would have been a great match anyway. On a night of bad finishes, this is the worst. Oh, yeah, because they go and uh, they do the replay and go, and oh, I've rewound it back because I missed it. And then he goes, it's the tomahawk chop. And it's like, no, it's just a chop. Yeah, it's, it's literally more, one chop. Less. So, yeah, that that was very disappointing. The, te- the, the karate display at the start is the only reason why I'm still smiling by this point. I could watch that on loop on YouTube for hours. <laughs> Tony Schiavone is then with the judges for the main event because apparently we need three judges and it's going to be um, Joe Fraser and then I've got Kabuki and Duke. Um, sorry, I know Kabuki, um, Japanese wrestler, Joe Fraser, the boxer, and Kyle Petty, a NASCAR driver. So, yeah, the, it's a little bit of a, a eclectic mix there. The minute it says judges. Also, I hate the thing that wrestling feels it should have judges but then gets judges from like more famous things but he's what well, well, how can Kyle Petty judge a wrestling match he drives cars in circles <laughs> oh my god the commentators talk up this match um Dusty's comes out to a, Dusty sorry comes out to a weird 80s slow dance kind of like pop knockoff which was just weird it's like shit soft ball music. It's, it's horrendous. Because... And... <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he gets a decent pop. <laughs> but we'll leave that one there. <laughs> <coughs> Walked into There's that. a vision nobody wants. <laughs> Oh, moving right along. Flair needs to be helped to the ring by police officers because 80s and heel heat. Um, And this one's for a million dollars and the world's heavyweight championship. So, Dusty, the American dream, the uh, working man champion, can put up a million dollars. Yep. Um, And obviously going for the title, Ric Flair's belt. Um, My first note, as it always is in the 80s when Dusty's on, is yes, this is one of the matches where he has the splotch on his stomach. Yep, yeah, splotch, full in effect. We get a shoulder and an elbow, and Flair comes back with a kick and some chops. Bit of a slugfest. Ric Flair does a leapfrog, which I thought was very impressive. Yeah, he starts off okay, this, you know. And you're not expecting 
again, uh, a lot of necessarily moves, but, you know, starts off not too bad. I'm willing to keep keep watching. Dusty comes back with an elbow. Ric Flair a snap mare and a knee for a two count. Misses another knee drop, and Dusty puts on a figure four, but Flair gets out of it. Um, Dusty begins to work over Ric Flair's legs, so obviously taking a page out of Flair's book. They trade blows. And Dusty Rhodes hits a press slam on Flair, who takes the bump well, then gets up and hits his patented Flair flop, um, and Dusty Rhodes tosses him out to the floor. Flair gets on the apron, and Dusty suplexes him back in for a two count. And I've got here a note that the crowd sound a little bit restless at this point. Like, they're not really, you know, they've got every right to be, but I'm surprised it's during this sequence that they seem to sort of give up on the night. Yeah, I think they've had enough. I, th- I think that uh, they, even when the judges come out, I think they're like, no. They know what's coming, don't they? Yeah, I think they know something's up because it, it's like I said on the other, uh, the last time's podcast, you don't put these things in there unless you're going to use them. Yep. Flair them with a back elbow and goes up top and, as usual, is caught. But he does manage to put on a sleeper. Dusty Rhodes sends him out, and we get some brawling along the outside, and Dusty Rhodes is rammed, heading to the post, and busted wide open. Joe Fraser, one of the judges I've neglected to mention, was actually acting as the inside referee as well. He wants a good look at, look at Dusty's cut, and it's not looking good. Um, but Flair attacks and then goes to work over the cut eye, forcing Joe Fraser to jump in and stop the match. What are you doing? Like, I just do not get how they think after a night of dodgy finishes they can have an outside athlete come in as a referee and stop the match. What are they doing? Uh, it was just... And I can see what they're doing. They want to keep the belt on flair. They want to keep Dusty strong. But it just... It's just... It's it's annoying in a way that's not like, oh, I want to watch next week what happens. It's annoying as in just fuck it. Yep, and then we have to have a bunch of no-name wrestlers come out and grab a hold of Dusty Rhodes to stop him going after Joe Fraser. And Ric Flair is on his way back to the backstage, just handed a normal check for a million dollars, no fanfare, no announcement, just everything about this screamed low rent. Oh, it's, it's again, it's, it's back to that thing we were saying. They Vince gets blamed for so much of the... Uh, the demise of the territories, but if they were booking this all the time, then I'm not surprised because he knew when to pull the trigger on Hogan. If it had been these guys, then the the belt would still be on the sheik. Yeah, it's just a joke. Um, we then, after the main event, we go to Shivani with Flair, um, and they go back to the commentators who just chat about it all with some guy stood behind their screen, just staring at the camera mid shot for so long that they have to transition back away from the commentators. And then <laughs> Tony Schiavone with Dusty Rhodes. And this is a good promo. So I'll splice a little bit of this in for us before going to a video recap of the whole, you know, the whole debacle and finishing with Tony Schiavone interviewing Joe Fraser for an absolutely God awful promo and a shit way to end a shit pay-per-view. Oh, they, um, I don't know uh, a lot about Geo Frazier, but I wondered if he was... Uh, is it punch drunk? He lost it, yeah. He, he doesn't look like he's he's, he's all there. Uh, but even then, he doesn't like... He could, I don't think they really wanted to spin off to do Fraser Dusty, but he doesn't do anything to, to work on that. He just comes out and says, yeah, cut above his eye. I work in boxing. That's a disqualification. It's like, yeah, but you're not refereeing boxing, Joe. So... What are you doing? 
it was just, it was shit. Everything about this show was absolutely shit from start to finish. It was god awful. Oh, it was the shittiness of shitness that's ever been shitted. <laughs> so, I think we've probably made our feelings on Starcade pretty clear now. I think what's left is for us to go and pick ourselves a winner, which shouldn't be too difficult. What do you think? Uh, I don't think there's going to be many arguments. So I roll winning. I have one gear. Go. Epic winning. Are you bipolar? I'm by winning. Win here. Win there. Win, win. Everywhere. Where? Absolute victory. Everywhere. Where? Where? I'm on a quest. We're gonna win everywhere. Right every single wrong. Right every wrong. I'm a total freaking rockstar from Mars. Winning. Come on, bro. I got tackle blood. Winning. You bottle my brain and be like, dude, can't handle it. Win here. Win there. Win, win. Well, let's start with crowd heat. Um, who do you think, which crowd do you think reacted the better on the night? Uh, WWF. I think that uh, they Hogan and Wendy Richter Pops were far bigger. I think they got what they wanted. And I think by the end of the NWA Starcade show, uh, the crowd was had had enough. There's only so many times you can do that to a crowd, even if they're used to that booking. And even though at the time they don't know it's booking, it's not like nowadays where we get angry at booking because we know it's booking. But even then, that's got to have deflated them. They're, all those finishes, there's not even there's not one clean finish in that entire show. There's not no, and there's not one finish that gives the crowd something to cheer for. It's just it's utter shit start to finish. Whereas Richter and Hogan, and to a lesser extent even Anoki, all got good pops after fairly impressive displays yeah this is the show that came the year they were doing these shows two years before wrestlemania and they didn't do anything with it what about production value this will be a bit of a tougher one i guess keep in mind the fact that we watched the fed on youtube and it's been uploaded you know pretty dodgily but you know who do you think had the better production value i think even at this point you can see the influence of mtv uh, and possibly NBC uh, in the WWE's presentation. I just think that uh, the camera angles are better and I also think the backstage stuff looks better. And overall, they just don't seem to make as many like little mistakes. Both of these suffered from the lack of technology available in the mid-80s, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to make my argument based solely off one head-to-head comparison. There were two finishes, one on each show, that required both competitors to have their shoulders on the mat and one to pop them up at the last second. When Wendy Richter and Fabulous Moolah did it, the replay gave us a better angle and explained the finish concisely and pretty quickly. When What's-The-Faces from Starcade did it... Um, Jimmy J- Jimmy Joe Jobson and his partner, the anti-kayfabe man. Yeah. Mike, Mike, Danny Brown and Mike Davis, when that happened, it... The, they did a replay that didn't make it to three the three count. It was just an absolute wasted bloody time. So I'm going to go the Fed here with you as well. Uh, Storylines, who did you go with? WWE, WF. It, this catapults everything that comes. I mean, I know it seems, I mean, everyone is told it's Hogan, but actually it doesn't take that much digging to realise it's uh, Wendy Richter's win and the, the Cindy Lauper stuff that just, uh, goes along. I know this show was a dark show except for that title win, but that title win alone just leads on to more storylines. You've got Hogan. Hogan's in the dressing room. He kind of uh, squares up to Lou Albano. You've got uh, 
obviously the Cindy Lauper thing, when he ricked her and Moolah, obviously you can have a rematch or they can move on to something else. Whereas there is nothing from that NWA show I want to watch more of. Yeah. I don't care if Dusty gets his revenge or not. Yeah, I agree completely. The Wendy Richter, Cindy, uh, Cindy Lauper, fabulous Moolah, Captain Lou Albano stuff was better than anything else on either show and actually did a huge, huge favour for the Federation it was working with in pushing them into the forefront and helping them gain viewers. So far and away the best storyline of either, either show and better than probably everything else combined, in fairness. Yeah, yeah, that, that just... Just that one match, the Wendy Richter and Moolah match, even if we rip on it a bit earlier, is actually far better than that entire NWA Starcade. What about characters? Who do you think featured the better characters on the show? WWF. <laughs> they're, they're, hands down, there are too many people on that uh, uh, Starcade show that are not on the script. I know that they went for a more realistic approach, so the the ring attires aren't as exciting, and the characters are either kind of baby face or heel, and the heels are all like the they all smushes into the same. I couldn't tell you the difference between uh, two of those matches when you were when you were uh, describing the matches. It's like I I can't even really envision what their ring gear was, let alone character. Yeah, so, I mean, to- I'm gonna. Uh, and so I'm going to give it, I mean, to the to, to WWF. They're, they're starting now to, I know it goes a bit cartoony, but they're, they're starting to build those kind of strong figures you can identify with. I think there's more guys you know across more matches in the Fed. And, you know, they both put most of their big players on the two shows. So the one I'm going to use to determine it is the use of celebrities for star power and characters. Cindy Lauper enhanced the show and brought viewers in. Joe Fraser ruined the main event and drove viewers away. Great comparison. (laughs) (laughs) Which takes us to our final category of match quality. And this is an easy one for me. I went with the Fed. I thought the matches were all watchable. Nothing to write home about, but they were all decent and had decent finishes. So for that, I I thought the best match was Blanchard and Steamboat, but it couldn't do enough to make up for the wretched wrestling and shit finishes across the rest of Starcade. No, uh, clean sweep, WWF. In fact, the Blanchard... Steamboat match was good, but like I said, I was numb to it by then. So, and even then, it had a crap finish, not befitting the match. Yeah. So this is one of the biggest whitewashes in the history of the podcast. It's a, it's ten out of ten for the WWF and zero marks for Starcade '84, which is exactly what it deserves. Probably a bit being a bit generous. This entirely deserves them getting completely stomped when WrestleMania starts the year after this. Yep. Which is um, a, a good point that we're probably going to be moving on to that pretty quickly. Although I do want to look at the dates on um, the Wrestling Classic and War to settle the score before we decide exactly where we're going to go with the next chronological show that we, we do. But before we go there, we've actually got a little bit of a, a different show coming up that we're going to have a look at for, for our next appearance together. And we're going to review my first pay-per-view against your first pay-per-view. So my first pay-per-view way back when is SummerSlam 88 and it's a... Uh, Card that still holds a special place in my hand, in my ha- in my heart, my head, my hand, whatever, in my heart, and I can, for the most part, remember just about every match and the finish to every match still off the top of my head. So that's my pick. What's your pick for your first pay per view, and do, is it near and dear? Uh, well, actually, it's probably not as near and dear because I was uh, a lot older when I got into wrestling. But it is in your house, Degeneration X, which I seem to remember being entertaining, and I've not seen since. So uh, should be good. That's when I got into uh, wrestling. 
many. Well, yeah, like, like a lot of people, late nineties, I just decided to never leave. It's um, it's one of them shows that I think is is another flashpoint for the Fed in the way to the Attitude Era, and it's something that you know, it's a it's a huge change of pace for us. So something I'm very very much looking forward to watching. I like to think of it as a uh, palate cleanser before we head back. <laughs> yeah, we're going to just take a slight break from the early to mid-80s and get one later 80s show in, very much in the middle of the Hogan era and one show right at the start of the Attitude Era. So I think that's going to be a really cool head-to-head and I'm very interested to see who picks up the win there. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, it'll be certainly stuff like match quality would be interesting because of the, uh, the, the the changes in the styles over the, uh, over the probably about 10 years between them. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we've got coming up next. Um, keep, keep an ear out for me and Duncan getting back onto the TNA versus Raw um, timeline. And Raw and Nitro in 96 is heading fast towards WrestleMania. And Carl and I have not hooked up for a little while. So that's going to be our next stop is Uncensored and WrestleMania coming up very soon. Um, and thank you all for listening. So another one in the bag. Thank you very much for coming on again, Richie. No problems. I'll, uh, I'll I'll promise when we get back to this timeline, we will we, I will find a decent alternative to the WWE. <laughs> With, I'm looking forward to it. All right, mate. Cheers. I like to wear when I rock the mic.